tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. Emma is producing today. Coming up on the show, Ross Gray will hold a public meeting this Friday evening. Today is World Diabetes Day. We'll be speaking to our GP, Dr. Pat Harold, on that. We have some global politics with Thomas Conway, our agony aunt, Phil, will answer all of your dilemmas. And Susan O'Donoghue. Our psychotherapist will be with us as well. I'll also speak to celebrity chef uh, chef uh, Edward Hayden ahead of his cookery demonstration at the Horse and Jockey uh, Hotel. So all of that and much, much more on the way. As well as that, listen out for your opportunity to play Tip FM's Match 3 game in association with Stakedom's Home and Hardware and Stakedom's Expert Electrical. And uh, we'll be doing that a little later on in the programme. Uh, let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Right across the newspapers, it's RTE News, the Independent, telling us that RTE staff are angry, the financial situation engulfing the broadcasters set to cost one in five of their jobs and the crisis-ridden national broadcaster will cut 400 positions as part of its rescue plan in the wake of the payments scandal. The Irish Daily Mail, their headline, RTE to axe one in five jobs at a cost of 40 million. The Irish Examiner, and again it's an RTE headline, they're axing 20% of jobs and transferring more production to Cork, according to the Examiner. Also on the Examiner today, we're reading that children and young people are increasingly falling ill from vaping cannabinoids, uh, a HSE expert has warned, and four teenagers became sick at a Cork school last week after vaping, but this was not an isolated case, according to uh, Professor Eamon Keenan, the HSE's National Clinical Lead for Addiction Services. And finally, a look at the Irish Times. Again, it's an RTE headline telling us that the plans are to reduce staff by 400 and indeed to cut some services as well. We'll be talking about that uh, on the programme uh, later on in this hour. Also uh, on the Times today, Israeli armed forces advanced uh, yesterday as far as the gates of Gaza City's main hospital, the primary target in their battle to seize control of the northern half of the Gaza Strip, where medics said uh, patients, including newborn babies, were dying due to a lack of fuel. And finally, the photograph uh, dominating the uh, Irish Times today is uh, of David Cameron uh, leaving uh, number 10 Downing Street yesterday. The former British Prime Minister has made uh, the a new Foreign Secretary, uh, has been made indeed uh, the new Foreign Secretary following the sacking of Home Secretary Suella Breverman. Uh, former Foreign Secretary James Cleverly uh, becomes the new Home Secretary uh, there. But it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Could we look forward to the return of Enda Kenny, maybe, or Bertie. Who knows? Who knows what happens in politics? Just before I carry on with, uh, uh, by the way, if you want to make comments on any of those headlines, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, 083 
before I carry on with the show, following up on a, a call from Joan yesterday telling us about her dad's issues with disability parking at a graveyard in Clanmill. Well, Councillor Michael Murphy um, took up the task of finding out for us and he paid a visit to uh, St. Patrick's Graveyard yesterday. And he's telling us that uh, there was a new fence line created to expand the cemetery. And disabled spaces that were located outside the previous fence will now be relocated outside the new border. Uh, But the old entrance to St. Patrick's is also open during the day, he tells us, and that has access to three disability bays inside the gate in in the meantime. So thanks to Michael for for, uh, finding that out for us. And now, Ross Grey residents will hold a public meeting this Friday evening to discuss several issues in the town. Derek Russell, founder of Ross Grey Stands Up, uh, joins me now. Derek, good morning to you. Morning, Frank. And uh, good to talk to you today. What are the issues that you will discuss on Friday, Derek? Well, there are four issues on the agenda. Um, first one will be Dean Maxwell home. Uh, the second one will be the CCTV project. Uh, the third one being anti-social behaviour in Ross Bay. And the fourth one then is the future of Ross Bay Garda Station and the current number of Garda presently stationed in Ross Bay. I would imagine the elephant in the room on Friday evening will be the issue with refugees in the town. Will that be addressed, for example, Derek? Well, sure. Look, if it's brought up, it'll be discussed. Mm. And you say it probably will be the elephant in the room but, um, yeah, these four matters anyway, for a start, they'll be the first four anyway on the agenda. And it's it's just to update people on, you know, where the situation is with the Dean Maxwell home and the same with the CCTV project. Like, people are saying that it's going on a long time, and it is going on a long time. We're 60 years at it now. And... Um, We'll have a bit of an update there on that, and you know it's it's no secret that there is a few problems with anti-social behaviour in the town, and you know people, let people come have their say. The, the guardy will be present on the night, and we all know that numbers are low in the guardy uh, guard at the moment, and they can only do so much either. Like and. You know, it's going forward. People want to know what the story is with the Garda station. You know, how many hours is it open? And, like, mm. uh, you know, the current Because what, what we're hearing on the programme, uh, Derek, is that the Garda station is closed quite a lot, and that's worrying for people in the area in light of the issues that you've just discussed with me there, antisocial behaviour and indeed some of the issues around refugees in the town as well. Well, that's very true, yeah. And, um, you know, we can't blame the guards that are there. They can only do so much. That's for sure, yeah. You know, and like anyone that knows the guards, they're helpful. But, you know, they, they have only so many hours in the week to give either. Like, and, um, we know it's a national problem too that garden numbers are down but in light of you know things that went on down through the years we always got a firm promise that Rusgrave station would be 24 hour station and there'd be lots of guards but at the moment that's not the way 
I'm not sure how much you can tell me ahead of the meeting, but is there an update on the Dean Maxwell home that you can discuss with me? Well, to be, to be honest, there, there isn't a lot, but the, the problem is that people are wondering what's going on with it. And it's just there'll be somebody there just to tell them what they know so far on it. Yes. And that's, that's all I can say, and that's all I know, to be honest. Mm. But I, it's just to clear, clear it up for the people of Ross Grand, the surrounding areas. Yeah, I'm just always confused about it, Derek, because every so often we have politicians telling us that they have an update on it and that it's positive in one thing and another, and then it all sort of dies back again for uh, another few months. Uh, is that your experience as well? Well, it is, but RCDC are in the background there and some politicians as well and councillors, they're constantly trying to push it to, you know, get it to the, the stage that, you know, this the future of the Dean Maxwell home is safe mm. and upgraded as well. But, uh, like, you know, with the CCTV project, there's obstacles in the way and it's trying to get around all the obstacles is the problem. Since so many years ago, Derek, when you first got involved with Ross Gray Stands Up and the like, and it, it put a a national spotlight on the town, I suppose, and other people followed suit from what you were doing, standing up against, particularly against the epidemic of drugs. But I'm just wondering, has the town improved? And I'm thinking of antisocial behaviour here, and I'm thinking of some of the videos that we've all viewed recently from the town. Have things improved in the town, Derek, or are we sliding backwards? Well, I suppose, if you're to be honest, over the last maybe 10 to 12 months, things have slid, slid back a bit. But, like, Rossway was as peaceful as any other town up to the last 10 or 12 months. And it's just certain things have been happening and it's time to try and bring it to a halt and sort it out and whatever that takes. And we all know that a few extra guards would, would go a long way on sorting out the problem. And the certain things that have been happening that you referred to to there, Derek. Can you can you just enlighten me about that? What what do you see as being the big issue in the last ten or twelve well, months? Well I suppose there's been a bit more fighting taking place, you know, in the later hours of at the weekend. And there was the incident there of a person's car getting stolen mm. and getting rammed in and you know the there's other bits of incidents there, but there is a problem too that there is incidents happening and people aren't reporting them. Mm, yes. They're putting them up on Facebook and things, but like unless somebody goes into the guard station and probably makes a complaint that something happened or they know of something that happened, it's very hard for the guards to do anything on it at that stage. So, and I know people are saying, oh, look, I called up to the guard station, it wasn't open and whatever. But but that is the the way the law works. That unless it's, it's, you know, somebody goes in and makes an official complaint, it's very hard for them to act on it. Like, And as I refer to it as being the elephant in the room on Friday night, but can I ask you about the situation with the huge influx of refugees and asylum seekers into the town. The result of that currently, Derek, is is what, can I ask you? 
Well, look, it, it's plain to be seen that we've, we've had more than our fair share of people move into the town and the problem is there's nothing for them to do and they're all accumulating up, uh, say, they're in front of Shaw's, the new market square, if you like, and you know, people, some people feel a bit intimidated by it. You know, personally, nobody has ever done or said anything to me downtown, but I don't be downtown maybe as much as other people are. But I do know of a business that, considering cutting back on their opening hours due to a lot of people standing around the business and what would you say it's not it's a bit intimidating to people yes yes uh, you know and therefore to happen the new people in town haven't done anything but people are finding it intimidating and there's no point in saying it any other way right and the answer to that is to I guess find, well, find, I, find something for them to do, Derek. But, I mean, there are sports clubs, there are opportunities, are there not? There are, Fran, but it's very hard to see how you can come along and lob in a couple of hundred people into a town the size of Ross Grey yeah. and leave them there. And nobody seems to have a point of contact to contact anyone if there's a problem. Mm. Uh, you know, the... Currently, there the old convent uh, school has been renovated, and mm. people are moving into it. But like you'd imagine, there should be big snooker hall in it, or you know, different um, yes. things to do, like Le- leisure if, activities of, of leisure, some of Like if somebody yeah. went around and rounded up a hundred of us and brought us up to Donegal and or somewhere and left us there, yeah, and never told us what you what we're going to knock down our days at or anything, and then. People have been saying that, you know, these new people coming into town, they're getting social welfare and whatever, and but then they're going into town, into shops and just picking up stuff that they seem to think that's the way mm. the business is done, like. And, you know, you'd love just for someone from the department to come, come down and talk to a couple of different groups around the town and just explain and tell them, look, we're here if there's a problem, ring it but there's nobody to ring. And is that your understanding that, you know, people come in in great numbers and they're kind of abandoned to their own devices then at that point, Derek? Is that well, your... it, would, it would look that way and yeah. I was listening to your programme there last week and the people around from Cashel and yeah. by the sounds of it, it's something the same in Cashel. Yeah. And I'm sure it's the same in other towns around the country. And, like, there needs to be clarification as well. Um... You know, there's people coming to Rossway, people coming genuinely for work reasons and that. Mm. And people need to, this needs to be clarified to people because people are painting everyone with the one brush, like, as well. Yes, of course. It's not fair either, like. All right, so so half past seven then, I think it is, on Friday night, Derek, is it? In the Winter Natira Hall, which is located there at the entrance into Chapel Lane and... uh, back entrance into Super Value. Yes, and people will have an opportunity to ask questions or to say their piece? They will indeed, but this is a meeting for the people of Ross Bay and how to air their views. Yes. It's not a meeting for people to come from other towns with different agendas or okay. anything. Yes, of course. Of and, course. Uh, you know, the people of Ross Bay, you 
Dunmore are looking for a platform to say it. So we hopefully what we're doing Friday night will supply that. And our local TDs have been informed of the meeting and our local councillors and the Gardaí have been informed as well. And the meeting is open to anyone that is there to listen and make a genuine contribution to the meeting as well. All right. Well, Derek, always good to talk to you and we wish you well for Friday night. Thanks for your time Thank, this morning. Thanks there. very much, Fran. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. Derek Russell there from Ross Gray stands up uh, telling us about that meeting. It's this Friday night, the Muitinatira Hall in Ross Gray at half past seven. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie RT staff will get confirmation later that 400 redundancies will be sought over the next four years. The state broadcaster will unveil its new strategic vision this afternoon, which uh, aims to cut costs in the wake of the payment scandal. Now, more content will be produced by independent companies. More shows will be broadcast from Galway and Cork, and the RTE Donnybrook campus will be downsized. Our reporter, Alison Highland, uh, joins me now with more on this. Good morning to you, Ellie. Morning, Fran. What about the background to this? Just to remind ourselves, Ali. Yeah, of course, this all kind of kicked off in June, and it was the RTE payment scandal, and it burst on the scene back in June, and everyone, of course, captivated by the Dáil Committee hearings. They became box office events, I think, for many people. Now, the fallout from it now is starting to get a bit serious because what we see is that there's a bill for €61 million in lost licence revenue. Um, That has to be paid from the scandal. And what RTE are now proposing is that one in five jobs will go and that's part of a wide-ranging plan to cut costs there. A total of 400 redundancies are being targeted and also a cut to a number of services. And what we're looking at then for shows is, we'll say, programmes like The Sunday Game and Fair City. While they may not be axed, they might be outsourced to external companies. That's what RTE are saying. Now, some of the services that are said to be closed as uh, closed as part of a, a cost-cutting measure is RTE Plus One. Many people might be familiar with that on Telly. That's, that's the hour delay on, that's the on, hour on delay. what you've been yeah. watching live. Yeah. Also RTE 1 Extra, RTE 2XM, RTE Pulse and RTE Junior. They're looking at cutting those completely. They're digital stations, I think. They I mean, are yeah. digital. Now, RTE Junior would be on television. Oh, is it? Okay. So there yeah. might be a lot of parents giving out about that because I'm sure it keeps a lot of young people entertained Happy, yes. early in the morning. But the job losses is an interesting one because Kevin Backhurst was asked about that in an earlier committee hearing and he said they could they simply couldn't afford to let people go. They couldn't afford a compulsory redundancy scheme and they couldn't afford a voluntary redundancy scheme. Now, they seem to have rolled back on that a little bit. A lot of, um, I think, frustration within people who work in RTE on a, a couple of different levels because, of course, the stars of RTE won't be affected by this. Mm. They may have to take some kind of pay cut maybe into the future, but they won't be directly or immediately affected by it. So RTE will be looking then for one in five jobs to go. Staff then are very frustrated with the fact that this was leaked to the media mm. yesterday and this was ahead of a meeting that Kevin Backhurst and other directors were due to have with staff today as part of a kind of a town hall meeting. So this has been leaked before that. The NUJ have spoken this morning, uh, Seamus Dooley 
Kelly was speaking about how they had called for a meeting with RTE directors last week ahead of anything being leaked. They were refused that because they didn't want anything being leaked from that meeting. But now it has been leaked ahead of the meeting with staff today. So staff, they're very frustrated with that. So uh, they'll find out more later on today. Kevin Backhurst will meet with staff today and outline what exactly is going to happen. But if you look at the papers today, the detail is all there. I mean, I think they know exactly what's going to happen ahead of that. Now, they're saying that the government kind of have this 40 million bailout ready to go, Mm. but they want to see the cost-saving measures that will be put in place. And funnily enough, the cost of the redundancy, which will be one in five jobs, 20%, 400 redundancies, will cost, they reckon, kind of in the region of that 40 million. So they're not quite sure um, if it's really going to stem the loss of revenue that's coming in from the last I thought they were just going to look at retirements and not replacing people then. Possibly. And maybe staff who are on short-term contracts won't have contracts renewed and that kind of a thing. But it, it will open the door, I think, for people who are looking for voluntary redundancy as well and how much is that going to cost because people will only go for that if it benefits mm. them financially. Those of us in independent radio over the years though, Ali, we've always been, I know like there's an element of sort of the green monster about it, but the amount of people on some of the teams to produce modest enough shows. It drives me mad. I mean, when you look at uh, that hour show, Ryan Tuberty's old show, which is between 9 and 10 in the morning, he has a production staff of five. That's five productions incredible. for a one hour show. When you think of here, we have maybe one and a half, really, yeah. for a three hour live show. It's crazy. It's uh, just incredible. And when you, uh, you know, of that 15 minutes, there was a kind of a, uh, you know, he was waffling away for 20 yeah. minutes and there was a song. So really, it was And he might have filling. two interviews yeah. in that one show and then a bit of music. I mean, to us, that seems like a very easy job to do. And yeah. I can't see why it would need five production staff. That's interesting. So obviously they'll have to look at the likes of that, I suppose. They will, well and it'll be else. interesting to see what programmes get cut. Now, and I know a lot of people will panic. Fans of Fair City and fans of the Sunday game might say our shows are gone. Yet they might actually be better. If mm. an outside company is being brought in to oversee them, it might actually be run better. They might have More a creative. fresher view yeah. for it. Absolutely yeah. newer yeah. faces. Because I think RT are guilty of that a lot. They use the same people for everything across the lot. So maybe an external company coming in to oversee shows could be a good thing. Maybe so. But to finish up on it, inevitably, the taxpayer, us, we'll bail it out. Absolutely. It'll have to be bailed out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we will be paying for it and through licence fees. And I think what we will see is if the government give a bailout, they're going to want to see a return on that. So they're going to want to see maybe stricter uh, policies in place for people to force them to pay their, their TV licence. I think people, they've been a little bit... Um, gentle on us Mm. uh, on the people who have decided not to pay their licence fee because of the furore that was started up by this payment scandal but I think once the government gives that 400 or that 40 million bailout they're not going to be gentle anymore because they're going to need to see that money back so I think it's going to be It may be in a different fashion to the old notion of the TV licence Yeah I think there's talk with a few years of a broadcasting fee and that will cover everything so anyone who says they don't watch telly and they only watch online they will still come in under that so they're going to cast the net a bit wider I think I'm sure the listeners will be delighted to hear hear that today Ali thanks very much indeed uh, for that one of our listeners Anne-Marie was in touch about getting a bus shelter in Lisrona village and uh, Anne-Marie joins me now. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you today. Tell me about the need for that bus shelter in lovely Lisrona. Well, Fran, like you said, it's a lovely village. We have an, an absolute fabulous community. Yeah. Um, 
we have a bus bench where we meet the town bus in the morning. Um, it obviously runs from Thurlis to Clanmel three times a day, so it's quite a good service. Um, previously, over a couple of years, we have um, been in touch with Bus Aaron and that, and getting about getting um, a bus shelter for that specific bus stop. But we've been refused on numerous occasions due to the fact that it's not a bus airing route. It's a private bus company. Yes. So we kind of put up with it. We have no choice. We stand in the... God knows what weather we'd have. And you'd be there sometimes 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes away. It depends on the bus time. Sometimes they're delayed, you know, traffic and otherwise. But the problem I have is um, the children going to school, their bus service collects them in the car park in the village. Mm-hmm. And they have to go over to the car park and two of my grandchildren now, there is others, it's not just my kids. Yeah. Um, they have to stand in a wide open car park in all weather with absolutely no shelter, nothing. Yeah, and particularly in the weather that we've been seeing over the last uh, few days, uh, Anne-Marie, yeah, you know, yeah, and, and we can yeah. look forward to more of that uh, as the weeks and months come. Oh, I'm quite sure we'll get that and worse. Yeah, and why has this gone on for so long? Uh, why why hasn't this been addressed well, before? Fran, I'm, I'm living out there 20-odd years now, 21 or 2 years coming up, and there has been no possibility of getting a bus shelter. Now, I did email bus Aaron yesterday, afternoon to, con- to let them know that I would be going on the radio about this. Yes. But there's been no reply, no comeback. But the thing is, the poor kids now, like I said, it's not just my kids, there's other kids. Some of them are driven to the car park. They sit in their mum and dad's cars and mm. they wait until the bus arrives mm. and they get on and they go to school. Now, the bus service brings them from there, say, to Feathered, where my, my grandkids go to the patrician presentation. Yes. And there's also another bus then would take other kids, they go to kill and all and so on and so forth. But like, it, it's terrible to see the poor kids going up to the bus stop at that hour of the morning. Now I have to get my lads up at seven. I'm up at half six. I get them up at seven. They have to leave the house at quarter to maybe give or take a few minutes. But the bus might not arrive until five, eight or eight o'clock. Mm. And like, we're talking all weathers. And I think it's at this in this day and age, it's terrible to say they've got nowhere to stand in, no coverage, nothing. And have you spoken to local representatives on this, Anne-Marie? Not as of yet, but I will be. Okay. Well, let's let's put yeah. it out there now. And yeah. from your point of view, where would be the ideal site? Where where should well, the shelter be? I don't know if you know the village of Sefram, but I we've do. got a big, huge, wide-open car park. Yes. And there's ample space. And we have a flower bed at the part of the, the entrance bay to the car park. And there's ample space there, which wouldn't impact on the parking spaces for the school or the church. Do you know, um, they, like I said, they have ample space. Yes, yes. And even over where we have um, we have recycling bins and so on, and we have a clothes bank, even on that side of the car park, there's ample space there. So there's there's really no excuse uh, about there this. There isn't, yes. no. And I think in, I'd love if someone would come on board and give me a hand with this, but I think I, I, I'm probably going to make this my new project. Normally. Because, like, the kids are up there in the mornings, and by, sometimes by the time they get to school then, they have 45 minutes to hang around, but they usually get dropped at the school gate, so they're allowed to go in. They have a fabulous staff up there in the school. Mm. They can go in and have their cup of tea and toast if they want to, but... My lads generally would have their breakfast early in the morning. Yes. Or um, the older girl now, she would normally go to the shop with her friends. You know the usual. She's leaving cert now at this yes, stage. Yes, of course. Of but course. My grandson, my grandson, who would be on the autism spectrum, he goes straight into the school and he goes into the ASD unit and 
be mixing with his little friends and whatnot. You know, but it, it's just terrible to say that some days, by the time they get to school, they're soaking wet. I mean, that's 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 not right. Let, let's put you know, it out there. Let's put it out yeah, there. Yeah, and Anne-Marie. if anyone has any any comeback yeah. or any help at all or any suggestions as to how to go about things, I very much appreciate it. Yes, and a shelter wouldn't cost a fortune. No, no, it shouldn't. It yeah. shouldn't. Yeah. Shouldn't. Well, Anne-Marie, let's put it out there. We'll see. When, as I said, the local yeah. reps tend to listen to us. So let's see if we can get some uh, reaction yeah. to that. But Any the... bit of support or advice or suggestions will be yeah. most welcome. All right. Always good to talk to you, Anne-Marie. Thanks very be much, well. My best to your family as well. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Bye-bye. 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 That's Anne-Marie there. Lovely. Uh, Liz Verona. Um Let me see who was on to us. Pat was on. And he says the problem with RTE is that a culture was allowed to go on for a long period of time. It was admitted in front of the committee from senior people that they were not doing their job and this was accepted when Kevin Backhurst went in and put together a deal with Tuberley, which was still over the top. It came across that his role was to put a sticking plaster on the problem. Now employees have to suffer and the trust from the general public is gone. Well, that's for sure because they're missing already 61 million in licence fee uh, money. So, um, yeah, uh, interesting take on it, Pat. Thank you for that. 083 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie It is World Diabetes Day and I'm glad to be joined now by our GP, Dr. Pat Harold. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Pat. I often feel, Pat, there's confusion around diabetes. What, what exactly is it, Pat? Yeah, it's it's too much sugar in your bloodstream, and um, I I I don't know what's confusing you. <laughs> well, you <laughs> see, question, I, it was another question. Yeah, no, yeah. I I always associated with like if you have too many bars of chocolate, you're you're sort of in the position that you may end up with diabetes. But I think it's more complex than that, is it? It well, you have it in a nutshell, really, friend. Now, five percent of diabetes is what's called type one, where basically your pancreas, which makes insulin. Um, packs in it and they don't know why might be autoimmune um, it's not preventable and it's um, they're, they're the people who are on insulin for the rest of their lives um, the way we used to see it commonly was um, and a lot of people think when you tell them that you're heading for diabetes or like they think I will be jabbing myself with insulin forever mm. um, now they're a small minority and actually the creators their lives have been made a lot easier recently because they've got um, it can now be done with a smartphone. You know, you used to see people sticking a little needle into their fingers yes. and um, injecting the insulin was no problem because that's done the pain. You wouldn't feel it. They mm. inject insulin into the, around the tummy there and it's it doesn't really hurt or anything. But um, jabbing the fingers is kind of unpleasant. But you might sometimes see people um, with their short sleeves in the summertime with a little white disc in their arm. Mm. And that is a glucose monitor. And it, it, it reads the level of glucose in your blood continuously and um, you can check it in your smartphone before you eat and some people have a thing called an insulin pump which puts the insulin into the um, bloodstream straight away without having to inject it which gives you great control because it's there sort of having a feedback system at night now it's world diabetes day and most people in the world don't have access to things like that mm. and um, it is as I said a minority but um, but people do think they'll be jabbing what's insulin? Insulin um, takes the blood sugar out of your, it's not circulating around in your 
system. It's a bit like carbon in the air. If, there's, if they get too much of it, it burrows up everything in a nutshell. Yes. And it affects your eyes, your kidneys, your 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 feet, you know, your all kinds of vessels and more likely to be heart attacks. So um, you, you either are resistant to the insulin or you're not making enough of it or else you just too much sugar coming in, like with the bars of chocolate. Yeah. So... Um, does that kind of answer to the it, it does indeed. So we're, we're talking we're talking about type two now at this point, where we we're talking about type two. Yeah, where so we develop it over time. Yes. The chocolate person is we. You need regular checkups, number one, mm. and especially if you're a bit overweight. Most people who develop it, uh, the type two diabetes are overweight, not mm. all, but most. And um, what we do is we do a test called a HbA1c. And that's a really groovy test. It looks at your blood going back for the last 120 days and it gives you an average of what the sugar level was in your blood. And if it's over 42, you're heading for trouble because you're, you're, you've got a condition called pre-diabetes, mm. which means you can turn it back. Do you know, you can actually, um, and, and you can turn it back because if it gets to 48, you've got diabetes. And now you're not, sentence to a lifetime of jabbing yourself or anything like that <gasps> but you will unless you um, modify your lifestyle quite a bit you will probably end up in tablets Right but it is reversible if you modify your lifestyle yeah Most cases it is and yes. um, and you know what I'm going to say next friend because I never get away actually you know something your chances of um, developing type 2 diabetes are reduced by 30-40% if you give up smoking are you serious? I didn't realize there was a link there. Yeah. Yeah. 30 to 40%. Um, so if you give that up, that might be enough. But the other thing is diet, activity, mm. and um, basically that kind of thing. Um, now, they've got in Ireland, now we're just starting off, there's, it, it, the big thing at the moment, and it's great, is integrated care in primary care, which means without having to go to hospitals, clinics and things. Mm. And they've got clinical nurse specialists in diabetes, and they're rolling out across the country, depending on where you are. And it's like clinical nurse specialists and lots of things, and they make sure that you get regular screening. And they also run um, clubs. It used to be called Desmond. I'm not sure what the title is at the moment, but it's where you go with a load of people to a kind of a night test, mm. and you learn about diabetes and hints and tips, and you learn from each other. It's peer learning. It's absolutely great. But in, with people, there are very, very good tablets out there now. Um, there used to be ones called Sosbonnerias and used to fall around the place. You'd, you'd get a hype up and you'd drop in as implications for driving and things. Yes. But there's far gentler ones now. The, the one you generally start off with is one called Metformin. And Metformin's been around forever. And you know what it does is take it. It, it, it does actually help taking a bit of weight off you. Most people who get it would get a little bit of diarrhea at the start, but it kind of wears off. You know, you kind of get, mm. get, mm. your body gets used to it. Metformin's great. And then there's another one. There's other ones, the SGLP2s, and they make you pee sugar. So, um, you know, a lot of these drugs are very good for actually helping you lose weight, but you do have to do it yourself and the exercise and things. And you'll be signed up for a thing called the Retinal Screening Program. And this year, I, actually, I was involved in the research in that years and years and years ago. And it started off with the old Western Health Board and the North Western Health Board. And they take you and they give you a, a photograph of the back of your eye. And there's a great look at the little vessels there to see if you great look at your general health. But um, diabetes can lend a bit to, to, in lot of developing countries, to blindness because the little vessels pour up. So they take a photograph and if there's, if there's anything that needs to do and if you brought back for lasers and things, they've done 800,000 in the last 10 years. So it's a bit of 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 a
develop diabetes, you'll probably be started on a statin. And, and that will bring down your cholesterol. And um, you might ask why, why would they bother with a statin? Because, you see, if you have a lot of sugar in your blood, it's that bit stickier. And the cholesterol is a fat rolling through your veins and arteries. And if, if the surface of the, the walls of your arteries are sh- sugary, they're sticky and they stick to it. And they, you might get a wee statin to bring down your um, the fat level in your blood a, t- a bit. And that's all great. Statins are very, very safe. And all the research comes out shows that they're more safe um, every day. So, um, you know, it, 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 they'll keep you going. So it's it's something that needs managing more than cure. Yeah, it's, a, it's fascinating to, to, to listen to. Um, Pat, you know that craving we have, and, and I'm putting my own hand up here, for, for sugary things. It, yeah. Does that play a part in this as well? Because it's a very strong craving, you know. It's a... It is, fun, and I, I, I completely get it. Yeah. <laughs> I love chocolate myself. Um, I'm going to you know, it's... it's um, but, you know, you rarely got sugar years ago, mm. you know, and, and everything sort of supersized. Um, I, yeah. I literally see kids coming in to be with large bottles of sugary drinks, mm. you know, and yeah. um, we, you'd only get one of those between an entire family if you're all down with the flu years ago. You know, literally you wouldn't, I mean, if you got a can of, of Coke or Fanta or something, you know, but the, you do, people are drinking these all day long. Listen, yeah. friend, a little bit of what you fancy is good for you. You know, I wouldn't, in most cases, I wouldn't sort of beat yourself up for having a square. A square of chocolate isn't the worst thing you could take after your dinner. It's when you sort of go reach it for the second bar. Mm. You know, that's that's the problem. And the other thing is, exercise is great. Mm. You know, if you if you walk it off or burn it off or run it off or something like that, um, basically, if you're diabetes, you should start to strive for. You know, hopefully your your nurse integrated nurse practitioner will give you advice. Funnily enough, for enough, Fran, you're much better off with you something like that if you have a medical card of any description because you'll be enrolled in a programme where they'll bring you in, the GPs and the practice nurses will bring you in and check you up and do it at least every six months and review your medication and do your vibration sense mm-hmm. in your feast, first thing to go and all that kind of thing. If you don't, you know, you're kind of rock up whenever you feel like it. So there's much better care. But um, I don't know what you do about your sugar cravings, Fran. I don't know. You'll have to sort of get a sort of a more harmless thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I tried chromium years ago and I found that fairly fairly effective. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking for people listening, Pat, symptoms to look out for then that might sort of make you think, well, maybe, maybe I, I might yeah. be pre-diabetes or something like that. What should you look out for? You look out for if you're thirsty all the time. Okay. Uh, that can be a sign. Actually, people who are thirsty all the time um, often just sort of take sugary drinks, which is not great because it kind of confuses the system and you're drinking more and more. Mm. Peeing a lot because there's sugar in your urine and there's an osmotic effect that draws it out. So you're peeing a, an awful lot more mm. than you could be. Um, if you're really bad, you can get blurred vision. It's a sign your eyes are going. Years and years ago, they made... Um, What's that program? Operation Transformation. Yes. And they did this thing in Limerick where um, they got a crowd of GPs to sit in the shopping centre and jab people's fingers and test their blood sugar levels. Mm. And I must say, I thought it was a, I thought it was a real stunt, you know. But anyway, I, I love a bit of media, so up my mm. rock. And um, I couldn't believe it, Fran. The very first person out of the traps had a blood sugar of something like 26, which is sort of the level that would you be, you'd send somebody to hospital with. Wow. In fact, I did send them to hospital. They were walking around, they were... Um, and I couldn't believe how many people out there. They reckon half the type 2 diabetics in Ireland are diagnosed at all. They don't know they have it. 
That's that's incredible. And and that yeah. person that you discovered with that twenty six, had they been suffering in any way or? Well, they told me they weren't, but um, I don't know if I believed them. You couldn't be going around with your sugar that high. They'd also, you'd also have a lot of skin problems. You'd have a lot of itches and rashes. And, you know, because you're all sticky and, and, and a lot of fungal things and, and um, you know, that, that sort of thing. Not a lot of thrush and stuff like that. Mm. Because there's a, the body's just full of sugar. Um, they'd be the main ones. I'm tired all the time. Mm. Fatigue. Um They'd, they'd sort of let you know and um, it isn't anything as dramatic that you'd fall over but you're just persistently unwell all the time. It's very interesting. Uh, is it good to have a day like this where there's a focus, Pat? Um, well, there's the, the World Health Organisation do sort of a focus worldwide and part of that focus is that um, most people in the world don't have access to any sort of diabetic medication, you know, um, and, that, and that's the thing. At least in Ireland we have access to, to them and they're pretty cheap and it won't break the bank. And it, the other thing is if you're diagnosed with diabetes, it doesn't generally, if it's type 2, it doesn't generally affect your driving or your mm. insurance or anything like mm. that. You're supposed to tell the company and um, yes. that's it. They don't wait you or anything like that. It doesn't have a huge dramatic effect in your life. But it is a real wake-up call that you have to do something about it. And um, But I, I, I just think it's, it's a good thing to talk about from time to time. It's, it certainly is indeed. And a bit of a wake-up uh, call for a lot of us too, I would imagine. Uh, before I let you go, Pat, uh, as if you're not busy enough, an extra 215,000 people now eligible for the free GP visit card. All children up to eight years old now eligible alongside everybody over 70. Um, what what are you making of this? It's um, yeah, it's it's it might be. Look, I, I welcome it. I welcome it really. But um, you have to remember, we're all flogged out the door, you know. And <laughs> every GP in the country is really busy. Um, you, you, we're all sort of catching up with everybody. We're doing our very best. Um, I'm, I'm having this conversation quite a bit. Actually, people saying, "Look, we're doing our best here, but we literally can't fit you in every day." the same day, mm. you know, and if it's something like a chronic problem or something like that, it might be a week or two. Um, we're all working away like Billy O, and um, they are putting a lot of resources into primary care, but it, it's it's trying to catch up with it. You know, it, I suppose Slauncher Care is coming out, which is sort of free care for all in the country, which is a good thing. You know, um, it's, look, at, I, I welcome it, but I, I'm thinking, you know, hopefully... Oh, we'll do our best. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. It, it is cold and flu season, of course. What, what are you seeing in, in the surgery, Pat, uh, by way of flu and colds? Is that... There's a, yeah, there's... there's and you know, one thing I've seen that's very good is um, parents are very sensitive about their children. Um, you very rarely now see, you know, like the runny nose and things like yeah. that. You know, there was a time you'd be seeing 10 or 20 of those a day. And, you know, you'd be saying the same thing to everybody, like their grand, their grand that's viral. I think people have a much better understanding now of viral illnesses and that you don't bring them to school and you don't bring them to the creche and you don't spread it around and you keep them home and you watch their temperature and you watch for danger signs. And, you, you know, in most cases, and then if they have something a bit more serious or you're worried, bring them to the doctor and that's grand. So um, people have learned definitely in the last two years there's a lot more patient awareness out there. Um, yeah, there's a few coughs and colds and things going around. They, they go around all year. You know, mm, yes. it's but but you're, not, you're not seeing huge numbers with, with a flu or anything at the moment anyway, are you? Not, not yeah. as yet, okay. not as yet. But the, old, the anti-flu is, is flying out the door um, and the pharmacists are doing it too. And the flu jab is good. And, uh, and as I say, if, you, if you're getting the flu jab, you might think about getting the pneumococcal 
injection, especially if you're something like diabetes or a heart condition or a lung condition. And it's an absolutely brilliant injection. It protects you against 23 different types of pneumonia. And it lasts, you know, if you're over 65, you just need one shot and that's it. You know, it lasts forever. And, you know, you might also think if you're getting the vaccination, talk to the doctor about the, sh- about the, um, the shingles vaccine. Now, it's, it's kind of extensive. It's a couple of hundred quid. Mm. But about a third, I think off the top of my head, about a third of people over 60-something get um, shingles at some stage. And it can really knock you sideways. Mm. It's very devastating, you know. So, you know, that for the for sake of a couple of hundred quid, you, you're sort of 90, 95% covered for years and years to come. So that's, that's something we're thinking well, some, about. Some great advice as always. Pat, you look after yourself and thanks, you thanks care, for your Pat. time this morning. Don't Pat. worry about the chocolate. It's doing worse. <laughs> I, could, I, I could, I suppose. Thanks, Pat. Bye about you now. That's uh, my good friend, uh, Dr. Pat Harold there, based in Anina, needless to say. 1800-938-007. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007, our free phone number. Now, if you would like to play our match three game in association with Stakedom's Home and Hardware and Stakedom's Expert Electrical, all you have to do is uh, text or WhatsApp, give us your details and put match three at the end of your correspondence with us and uh, we'll have a bit of a draw and we will call somebody back and give you the opportunity to play match three in just a while. So that's 83 Now, one week on from the failed attempt by the government to place 74 male international protection applicants in Cashel without any consultation with the local community, Cashel community activist Liam Brown is now calling on all local and national representatives to lobby the government to stop all new arrivals of refugees and international protection applicants into the country. And Liam joins me now. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, friends. Morning. And good to talk to you today. You are making that call right now. And I guess you would figure at this point you, you have the support of communities on this, Liam. I do, friend. Um as you said, it's it's one week on from last weekend, but I mean, this is something I had thought about for a long time beforehand. I, I have spoke about this on, on the show with you before, yeah. but last weekend, um, obviously what happened in Cashel, the amount of calls, the amount of texts, the amount of messages I've gotten from all over the country, fan, has kind of shown that this is this is the way people are thinking all over the country, and in a lot of cases are afraid to say it, because they're afraid of being labelled with a pile of different names, you'll know mm. them yourself. Yeah. And you know, I, I think they're kind of saying to me, like, somebody has to say this. And, you know, I've often said to myself, you know, where Tipperary goes, the rest of the country follows. And it's it's now begun to, to filter through to national parliament. I mean, Matty has said this in national in the Dáil. Michael Lowry uh, said it yesterday on the other radio station, Tipperary. They're beginning to talk about it. And it's, it's kites are being flown in the newspapers that Leo Bragg is talking about it. But I think what we need is a proper discussion, n- not kite flying not putting things out there to see what the reaction is. I mean, we pay our leaders, we elect our leaders to lead, not to look for uh, guidance by newspapers or, or polls. And I think we, we know at this stage now, Fran, if we're starting to put people in tents up the country, if we're starting to put people into derelict buildings in Ireland, if we're looking for every tin house, outshed, outhouse and shed to put people into, well, then we've an issue. And there's actually no point in making that issue worse 
because it's not going to get better until we sit down and put a proper plan in place. But to deal with it. some politicians are still in denial about this. I mean, I'm not sure if you heard Edon O'Reardon uh, of of Labour coming out, and he he said that immigration will not be an election issue next year. For example, he said it's not being politically debated around the country, and he said that members of the Oireachtas need to be called out if they're speaking out in this fashion. It, it, like, how how removed from reality can you be? Well, not to put too fine a point on it, that's exactly why Labour are about 2% in the polls and the likelihood is that Labour will lose all their seats in the next election. Anybody who doesn't think that this is not, isn't being debated around the country is completely and utterly out of touch because this has been debated in every single household, every single town and village in the country. The problem is, is anybody who tries to debate it in public immediately gets called racist, they get called right-wing, mm. and they get called NIMBYs, and they're trying to be shut down. You know, you cannot shut down a debate. If you don't have it in open view, I've always said this, if you don't have a debate in open view, it doesn't mean the debate's not happening. The debate is happening. And Aidan and any other politician who thinks that this debate isn't happening are in for a hell of a shock next June in local elections mm. and sometime next year in national elections. I mean, down, down in Rosler, was it a thousand people, I heard, Liam, uh, trying to try to make their way to that meeting down there? This is this is it. Look, fine. Um, 500 people turned up in Cashel last Sunday night yeah. at less than 24 hours' notice. I can absolutely assure you, fine. If another meeting, if the same thing was going to happen next weekend, and we had four or five days' notice, you wouldn't have got up. You wouldn't have got up Canopy Street. Never mind, get into the hall. And for clarity, you know, Liam, these are decent people. These aren't some sort of right wing. There was not. There was not a voice raised last weekend. Yeah. There wasn't a voice raised inside in the hall, and there wasn't a few people try to to store. Now, not not people on the street, but people with me in the background from national newspapers. And I do I do not like the the independent writing a headline like tension in Cashel at protest. There was no tension in Cashel at a protest. These are ordinary, decent people from every walk of life, uh, from right across the different parts of the town and from outside the town. These are people who don't normally say anything much in public, Frank. Mm. But when they when they they felt that this was being imposed upon them, and this is exactly what it was. It was an imposition into a town without any consultation and without any care for the consequences. And we are looking around the country and the consequences of doing that in different villages and towns have been horrific in some cases. A lot of the stories, quite frankly, are being suppressed. For whatever reason, I don't know. I, I'm very surprised that RTE did not come down and cover this last weekend. But it's, it's, been, it's been suppressed, I think, at this stage because they realise that when you open up this debate, a lot of people will start talking who do not normally talk and they'll start making their voices heard. And it is frightening the life out of politicians. It's absolutely frightening. But it shouldn't, yeah. because these are the people who should be doing the leading. They should not have to wait until they fear for their seat or they fear for their expenses. And, and, and the makeup of that audience of the 500 people in Holland, Afela, would that have been cross-party in terms of who they would normally support, Liam? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look, uh, I, suppose, I suppose we shouldn't really be saying it, but most people will know... Uh, that a lot of people, they, they have their political background, you know, they have their familiar political background, and most people would know that. But it didn't matter what, it didn't matter what colour or creed you were politically, the people were at that meeting. And it didn't matter what colour, the, the support for the, the support for politicians wasn't based on their, their political colour or creed either. Every single person simply wanted to know what the answers were. And they were very, they were left down, in a lot of cases, if we're actually honest, by politicians from across the board telling them that they didn't have answers. Now, that's not good enough. It simply isn't good enough. You cannot be, you cannot spend it, like, in the last budget, fine, and that's only four weeks ago, 
there was a sideline on the budget which was barely covered in the newspaper mm. afterwards yes. that two and a half to four billion euro was being put aside yeah. Yeah. for Ukrainian refugees. Now there's about 100,000 Ukrainian refugees in the country. Now, if you're putting aside 2.5 to 4 billion, that's between 25,000 and 40,000 per refugee. Now, in the name of God, Frank, you cannot put aside that amount of money and not have a proper discussion on it, not have a proper debate on it, because where is that money going to? I mean, who who is getting that money? What services are being provided for that money? Because, I mean... Well, well, businesses who choose to house asylum seekers and refugees, they are benefiting now, aren't they? That's, that's exactly it, Fran. And it, it was something that Maggie McGrath said in the doll, and I'll be a tiny bit careful because I'm certainly not going to mention any business, but there are developers now who are looking at the migrant situation, the refugee situation, as a cash cow. Yes. I said, I said last year that the Ukrainian uh, refugee crisis was not going to be a six-month crisis. It was going to be a, at least a 10-year crisis. And there are now people with greedy eyes looking at this and thinking they can fill their pockets for the next 10 years if the government are going to continue to hand out money without any debate. And anytime anybody tries to have a debate, it gets shut down immediately. But, friend, that is money that should be put into the country for proper services. And let me get this clear. I am not one of these Irelanders full people. I'm not one of these people who do not think that we should look after refugees who genuinely need looking after. You know, there's 15 million people in the country of Holland. It's a third of our size. So there is room in Ireland, but you cannot bring people in to Ireland until the services are put in place first. Yeah, and we, we, we heard from Derry. I'm not sure if you had time to listen to the, the top of the programme. We were talking to Derek Russell up in Ross Grey, for example, and he yeah. was talking about people being intimidated, not because there was actual you know, violence going on or anything, but just people gathering, asylum seekers and uh, Ukrainian people, gathering in numbers, and that on its own is intimidating. And he was making the point, there's nothing for them to do. Yes, it is. That's exactly the problem. And I'm going to be straight here. 90% of the calls I got in the couple of days before the meeting last week were from women. Were from women and were families with young girls who felt that the, the, the ladies and the young girls would be intimidated. Fran, I know I know... It, it might sound funny, but if you had a bunch of Irish youngsters, 18, 19, hanging around the corner, there are people who'd be intimidated by it. Of course, us. of course. You know, I'd be intimidated we, we have, myself if there was a whole bunch of... Absolutely. We have an issue, we have an yeah. issue in Catholic around the graveyard and people feeling For intimidated sure. going in the graveyard. Yeah. You know, so when groups of people gather, some people feel intimidated. Now, if you put 74 people into three houses, and remember, one of those houses was derelict, so I don't know where they were going to go into that house, with nothing to do, living in some cases possibly up to 10 to 12 to a room, all day long, unable to work, unable to, you know, we've, we've no idea what language problems they might have, we've no idea what uh, training problems they may have. Mental they health issues, whatever. Yeah. Many, yeah. You know, we're talking yeah. about people who potentially are coming from conflict situations. Yeah. Although in some of these cases, Fran, I think there's a certain amount of fake fake uh, news going on about some of the conflict situations they're coming from because some of the countries have said there's no conflict there and we know there's no conflict there, but yet they're claiming they're running away from a conflict. You have them coming out and sitting on the plaza from 9 o'clock in the morning till 12 o'clock at night, sometimes longer, people are going to be intimidated and people shouldn't have to fear that and they shouldn't have to fear it in silence. So when they got an opportunity to come out and say that, they came out and said it. So it's now the responsibility of our leaders to listen to those people because we're not listening to ordinary people. And Liam, you're a great man to do a bit of research. Have you looked into this thing? Because I've been trying to look into it uh, lately. We we keep hearing from politicians all the obligations we have. But with the Treaty of Amsterdam, along with Denmark and Poland, we are not obliged. We are not obliged, no. It's an opt-in situation. It's an opt-in. No, this 
this is this is the sort of nonsense that went on. And I mean, it, it was mentioned by one person at the meeting that you know under the Lisbon Treaty we had these obligations. No, we didn't. Ireland was one. Of, Ireland was one. Ireland and Britain at the time when they were in Europe. And I'm trying to remember one other country went the full way with the Lisbon Treaty and pretty much opened up the borders immediately and completely. You know, we then had the, the Dublin Convention on Refugees, yes, yes. which says that a refugee should should seek asylum in the first country of the, where the first country they land in after they after they leave the country that they feel they're fearing. Now, you know, it's a long way from Albania to Georgia, and as far as I know, well, I'm pretty sure there's no direct flights and there's no direct boats. So people who end up in Ireland from these countries have definitely transited through probably five or six different countries before they ever land in Ireland. In a lot of cases, fans are landing in Ireland, we know, without papers. But yet they're, they're embarking with papers and disembarking without papers. And we cannot continue to ignore that, fan. And, and say, wh- when did the difference... I, I was looking back as well at 2015. I think Leo Varadkar was health minister at the time, Liam. And there was a big row in this country. It was around in this programme as well because we were only allowing in 4,000. Do you remember that asylum seekers at, at, yeah. at the time? Now, I was one of the people, I have to say, with my bleeding heart liberal sort of side to me. I was saying that's not enough because these people are genuinely coming from war-torn areas. Um, when did that all begin to change drastically? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. And, you know, I don't want to go down the road of, of, of conspiracy theorists with people trying to displace Irish people. But it seems that we have a situation in this country, and especially after Brexit, I think, that we're now trying to be the best boys in the class, that we now do not want to say no or boo or whatever to the EU. And I don't know, is that because of the discussions going on around the, the hard border in the north or soft border in the north with, uh, with Britain after pulling out of, of the EU? So we're constantly trying to be the best boys, and we're constantly standing up and saying, oh, we have obligations. Like, let's be honest about it. It doesn't matter what obligations we have, fine. If there is there's a problem with resource in the country, you cannot keep bringing extra people in and making the problem worse. Because what's that, what that's going to create is an awful lot of tension that is, I think, there and bubbling mm. and simmering away. But that, that was going to be my next question to you, Liam. If this is allowed to get out of control, and it's almost out of control, if, if not out of control, the result of that will be what? It'll be violent. Absolutely, and it's out of control in some places already, Fran. I mean, some of the videos I've been sent from Ross Gray are horrific. Some of the videos I've been sent from Clarny are, are horrific. And these are from people who are living in those areas and having to live with this issue. And I don't want to categorise it as a problem, but let's be honest about it, it is a problem. And it's going to be, a, because if you, don't, if you don't address a problem when it's small, it'll simply get bigger. It'll get bigger. And you'll take a place like Cashel that 74 people are, are coming into. Who's to say that, you know, a business person with a property who thinks, well, look, there's some guy making a nice little cash cow here. Let's let's put another 74 people into Cashel. You know, and Clamel is about three times the size of Cashel, so surely Clamel, we can put three or four hundred into Clamel. We can put maybe a couple of hundred into Chip Town in Carrick and Shore. And nobody is saying stop. And we've got to say stop before that happens, because what will happen is there will be violence. It's happening some, it's happening some places. Up to now, it's low-level intimidation to begin with, then it becomes higher-level intimidation, and then it becomes trouble. And we do not have the resources to deal with that trouble. So why are we letting it happen in the first place? Yeah, I, I know that you had calls from Leitrim and Midlands, Dublin, Kildare, right right across uh, the country, mm-hmm. but I know that you had some people making contact with you from Ross Gray as well, and I'm just thinking ahead of the public meeting they're holding on, on Friday. Uh, this will be the elephant in the room there, because it's not on the agenda but it will be the elephant in the room, will it not? That elephant will stomp right into the room from the beginning. 
It might not be on the agenda, but I can absolutely assure you that elephant will walk right into that room and it'll let itself be known very, very quickly. Because you've been because hearing from people there. I've been hearing from people there and I've been looking at what's going on up there and we're now beginning to see our own politicians realise themselves. Michael Lowry has, has addressed it in the doll. Matthew McGrath has addressed it in the doll. I know, my, I know Martin Brown is listening to it from people in Ross Gray. I'm damn sure Alan Kelly has been listening to it and Jackie Kyle. Like, if they you see, Mar- Martin people, Brown has an issue because of the party line, does he not? Where, where Sinn Féin are concerned. That's Martin's issue. If that's Martin's issue, he's got to, he's got to decide, you know, where he stands on that, like, but it didn't matter what politician was at the meeting last last Sunday night. It, they all began to try along along the party line to begin with, but they realised, as you said earlier on, that hall was filled with people from every creed and none, and nobody was taking that nonsense off any of the politicians. Like you can you can you can hold the party line yourself, but I'll give you something my dad said, and you know you know my dad, and I, did, I, did. He, I think he I think he was a fairly astute politician. Yeah. You know, politics is not without people. At the end of the day, you look after your you look after the people, and if you look after the people well enough, the people will look after you. But you cannot have people going off to Dublin, as they say, uh, to the doll and listening to the likes of the Adon O'Riordans and listening to the likes of the Bleeding Hearts, telling you that this is this is what things should be in the perfect world. We all know what things which how should things should be in the perfect world, but the rest of us live in the real world, friend. And we know what it's like in the real world, and we know what it's like in smaller towns and villages. Were you were you, you called have... were you called names by the way, Liam? Were, were... Uh, nobody nobody directly to my face. No, but look, right? Okay. I, 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 I have I have no issue with, with anybody calling me names. Yeah, I am very confident and very um, self. Uh, sorry, conscious of where I stand myself. So I have I, I've said this to you before. Me and you, we, we've had our differences, and we I've had differences with certain guests on. And we've all been able to talk amicably and leave it amicably. If anybody wants to debate, I'll debate with anybody. If somebody wants to call me names, it means that they have no argument. You know, it, it, when you resort to an ad, an ad hominem attack, and the best you can do to debate me is to call me names, is to call me a racist, is to call me a right-wing loon. First of all, they, they know very little about me. And second... I wouldn't be short and, and quick about putting them back in their box. Right. And just one final question, because this is put around the place all the time as well. The 500 people in Holland of Fela, Liam, was there any attempt by any unscrupulous group to infiltrate that in any way? Was there? No, there wasn't. And if there were, they would have been given short shrift. OK. Um, we were well, we had our eyes well peeled for anyone coming in to try and affect the meeting or trying to cause trouble, because I think that is happening across the country. We've seen it. Uh, we're not the, we're not that sort of people in Cashel. We know where we stand, and we're quite happy with our position. And if anybody tries to come in and attach themselves to our our, our case or our cause, we'll give them short shrift and run them fairly quickly. We don't need outside help for this one. Cashel people look after themselves. All right, Liam. Great to talk to you today, and thanks very much indeed for your time, Liam. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank Brian. you. Bye bye. You now, and that's Liam Brown, community activist there in Cashel. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage. Congratulating Liam Brown on uh, his piece with me uh, this morning. Uh, One person saying, well-informed, great speaker. If he was so inclined, he should run as an independent himself. Well, there you go. Somebody else saying, shocking disregard for the will of the Irish people and local communities. We no longer have Democracy is slowly turning into a three-party dictatorship. Animal Farm, the book, comes to mind. 
somebody else saying Matthew McGrath has been calling uh, this out for almost two years and has been called racist and far right even by his other uh, Iraqis colleagues, particularly Senator Ahern. We have to be able to debate these matters that are of huge importance, it says here. That's into us on 083 311 Let's do this. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie. Oh, the excitement. Let's go to Josie and Thurless. Josie, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you today, Josie? I'm fine, Fran, thank you. Very good. Are you brimming with confidence about this, Josie? Not, well, not really, no. <laughs> not really, all right. Well, you know the story well at this point. Uh, that I you do, have to, I do. You have to pick a box between 1 and 90. By the way, if the box is empty, in other words, if that prize has been won, I'll give you another opportunity to pick another oh, number. Oh, that's great. Is, is that okay? That'd all be right. great. So the first box that you'd like me to open is what? Number 10. Number 10. Let's have a look at number 10. Now, it's a Ninja Air Fryer, I'm assured, and that's to the value of just under €160. So it's a nice one. Okay. So another box for me now, Josie. Number 18. Number 18. Let's open that box and let's see what's in there. Oh, you're doing well. It's another Ninja Air Fryer. Now, you know the story. You have to match three. So pick another box for me. Number 70. Number 70. Let us have a look in number 70 and let's see what the story is there. Ah, Josie, you just missed out. It is an air fryer, but it's a different air fryer. It's a Russell Hobbs air fryer to the value of 130 euros. So I'm sorry you didn't win, Josie. That's okay, Fran. So I'm sorry, but will you you play, play the game with me again? again, Fran. That's right. no problem. And, and listen out throughout the day, won't you? Because you'll have other opportunities to see what's in the various boxes. Do you want to say hello to anybody, Josie? Oh, I'd love to say hello there to my family, Mary, my daughter Mary, and my um, son Lance, and my son James. And also for my husband, Very. Jimmy. Very good indeed. Well, and all I, my neighbours there around. Lovely to talk to you. I hear the dogs barking there in the background. Are they oh, yours, Josie? He's mad to get in now. He's mad to get in, but I, <laughs> I put him out while I'd be on the radio. <laughs> I said, just in case. Well, tell him we heard him anyway. Look after yourself, Josie. Thank you, Fran. Thanks very much, Janine. Thank That's Josie much. and Thurlis today playing our match three. And, of course, Stephen will give you an opportunity to do that in just a little while as well. Tip FM's match three game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurlis. Shop online at stakelum's.ie. Match three, win the prize. Tip FM. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie um, the, the, the information at the point of purchase can be quite poor. So when you, the consumer, buy a seat, you go to try and fit it yourself. It's, it's most likely, or it's a, the statistics will tell us that there's a high probability you're going to make a mistake fitting the seat. Tip FM obituaries and weather next. Apply online for learner permit and driving license services, including renewals, updates, exchanges and replacements. It's easy and hassle-free. Visit NDLS online today at ndls.rsa.ie. Verified MyGov ID required. A message from the Road Safety Authority.
Tip FM has been informed of the following deaths. Edmund, Ned Brett, Tabiba, Mullinahone and Brett's Hardware. Requiem Mass in St Michael's Church, Mullinahone at 12 noon today, followed by burial in St Michael's Cemetery, Kilahi. House private this morning, please. Eileen Coman, Nice House, Coalfields, Two Mile Boris, Thurless. Requiem Mass at half eleven in St James's Church, Two Mile Boris, with burial afterwards in Two Mile Boris Cemetery. House private, please. Jane O'Mara, Nikyo, for the Matthew Terrace, Clonmel. Requiem Mass at one o'clock in St Peter and Paul's Church, followed by burial in St Patrick's Cemetery. Sylvia Tierney, Nee Bentley, Church Street, Temple Moor. Requiem Mass at 12 noon in the Church of the Sacred Heart, Temple Moor, with interment in St. Joseph's Cemetery afterwards. Messages of condolence may be left at ejgray.com. James Kenny, Clementa, Barna, Woodsgift, reposing at his residence from 4.30 until 7.30 this evening. Removal on Wednesday morning to St. Patrick's Church, Grain, arriving for Requiem Mass at 11 o'clock, with interment afterwards in the adjoining cemetery. Family encourage those attending James' funeral to wear their club colours. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, to Southeast Palliative Care. John O'Brien, Tanakilla, Caparoo, Nina. Reposing at Keller's Funeral Home, Nina, from 5 until 7pm this evening. Funeral arriving on Wednesday to Our Lady of Lourdes Church, Silvermines, for funeral mass at 12 noon, followed by burial in Kilmore Cemetery. House private. Jimmy O'Shea, Burke Street, Feathered, formerly of Quarter Cross, Gilusty, St. Teresa's Nursing Home, Cashel. Reposing at McCarthy's Funeral Home, Feathered, from 5 o'clock this evening with the removal to the Church of the Sacred Heart, Colusty at 8, to arrive at half 8. Funeral Mass on Wednesday at 11 o'clock, followed by burial in the adjoining cemetery. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, to the Injured Jockeys Fund. Sadie Scally, Nee Madden, Cabra Thurless, formerly Lissatoni, Nina. Reposing in Hugh Ryan's funeral home, Slevenamon Road, Thurless, this evening from 5 to 7pm. Arriving at the Cathedral of the Assumption on Wednesday at half 10 for Requiem Mass at 11. Burial afterwards in Holy Cross Abbey Cemetery. Family flowers only, donations if desired, to North Tipperary Hospice. Liam Slattery, Gertie Ogan, Ballycommon, Nina. Reposing at Ryan's funeral home, Nina, this evening from 5 o'clock to 7.30. Remains arriving at St Mary's Church, Carrig on Wednesday for Requiem Mass at half eleven. Burial afterwards in Monsey Graveyard, Ballycommon. Family flowers only, donations in lieu of desired to the Milford Hospice Home Care Team. Dave Tynan, Willow Park, Clonmel. Reposing at O'Donoghue's Funeral Home, Kickham Street, Clonmel this evening from 5 to 7 o'clock. Dave's funeral will arrive at St Peter and Paul's Church on Wednesday for Requiem Mass at 11, followed by burial in St. Patrick's Cemetery. Charles Ball, Money Goal, reposing in Donovan's Funeral Home Money Goal on Wednesday evening from 6 to 8 o'clock. Service on Thursday in St. Joseph's Church Money Goal at 11 o'clock, with cremation afterwards in Shannon Crematorium. Helen Dalton, Nee Murphy, Notnapisha, Balaluby, and formerly of Kinkora Terrace, Thurless, reposing at her home on Wednesday evening from 5 to 8 o'clock. Helen's funeral cortege will be arriving to St. Kieran's Church, Balaluby, on Thursday morning for 11.30 Mass. Burial afterwards in the adjoining cemetery. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, to the Friends of St. Theresa's Hospital, Cloheen, 
or V Valley or Care daycare centres. May they rest in peace. Live streaming details are available on tipfm.com. Tip FM weather. With Templemore Motors Toyota. Relax with a new service activated warranty. Extra peace of mind with every service. To find out more, call Templemore Motors 0504 31222. A blustery day with a mix of sunny spells and scattered showers. Some of those showers will be heavy and thundery at times. Top temperatures today of 10 to 12 degrees. At the moment, it's 9 degrees in Tip Town. That's your update for now. You can get more local stories via the Tip FM app or at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800-938-007, our free phone number. Now, if you would like to play our match three game in association with Statum's Home and Hardware and Statum's Expert Electrical, all you have to do is uh, text or WhatsApp, give us your details and put match three at the end of your correspondence with us and uh, we'll have a bit of a draw and we will call somebody back and give you the opportunity to play match three in just a while. So that's 83 Now, one week on from the failed attempt by the government to place 74 male international protection applicants in Cashel without any consultation with the local community, Cashel community activist Liam Brown is now calling on all local and national representatives to lobby the government to stop all new arrivals of refugees and international protection applicants into the country. And Liam joins me now. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, friends. Morning. And good to talk to you today. You are making that call right now. And I guess you would figure at this point you, you have the support of communities on this, Liam. I do, friend. Um as you said, it's it's one week on from last weekend, but I mean, this is something I had thought about for a long time beforehand. I, I have spoke about this on, on the show with you before, yeah. but last weekend, um, obviously what happened in Cashel, the amount of calls, the amount of texts, the amount of messages I've gotten from all over the country, fan, has kind of shown that this is this is the way people are thinking all over the country, and in a lot of cases are afraid to say it, because they're afraid of being labelled with a pile of different names, you'll know mm. them yourself. Yeah. And you know, I, I think they're kind of saying to me, like, somebody has to say this. And, you know, I've often said to myself, you know, where Tipperary goes, the rest of the country follows. And it's it's now begun to, to filter through to national parliament. I mean, Matty has said this in national, in the Dáil. Michael Lowry uh, said it yesterday on the other radio station, Tipperary. They're beginning to talk about it. And it's, it's kites are being flown in the newspapers that Leo Braggs are talking about it. But I think what we need is a proper discussion, N- not kite flying, not putting things out there to see what the reaction is. I mean, we pay our leaders, we elect our leaders to lead, not to look for uh, guidance by newspapers or, or polls. And I think we, we know at this stage now, fan, if we're starting to put people in tents up the country, if we're starting to put people into derelict buildings in Ireland, if we're looking for every tin house, outshed, outhouse and shed to put people into, well, then we have an issue. And there's actually no point in making that issue worse 
because it's not going to get better until we sit down and put a proper plan in place. But to so, some politicians are still in denial about this. I mean, I'm not sure if you heard Edon O'Reardon uh, of, of Labour coming out and he, he said that immigration will not be an election issue next year, for example. He said it's not being politically debated around the country and he said that members of the Oireachtas need to be called out if they're speaking out in this fashion. It, it, like, how, how removed from reality can you be? Well, not to put too fine a point on it, that's exactly why Labour are about 2% in the polls and the likelihood is that Labour will lose all their seats in the next election. Anybody who doesn't think that this is not, isn't being debated around the country is completely and utterly out of touch because this has been debated in every single household, every single town and village in the country. The problem is, is anybody who tries to debate it in public immediately gets called racist, they get called right-wing, mm. and they get called NIMBYs, and they're trying to be shut down. You know, you cannot shut down a debate. If you don't have it in open view, I've always said this, if you don't have a debate in open view, it doesn't mean the debate's not happening. The debate is happening. And Aidan and any other politician who thinks that this debate is happening are in for a hell of a shock next June in local elections mm. and sometime next year in national elections. I mean, down, down in Rosler, was it a thousand people, I heard, Liam, uh, trying to try to make their way to that meeting down there? This is this is it. Look, fine. Um, 500 people turned up in Cashel last Sunday night yeah. at less than 24 hours' notice. I can absolutely assure you, fine. If another meeting, if the same thing was going to happen next weekend, and we had four or five days' notice, you wouldn't have got up. You wouldn't have got up Canopy Street. Never mind, get into the hall. And for clarity, you know, Liam, these are decent people. These aren't some sort of right wing. There was not. There was not a voice raised last weekend. Yeah. There wasn't a voice raised inside in the hall, and there wasn't a few people tried to to store. Now, not not people on the street, but people with me in the background from national newspapers. And I, don't, I do not like the, the independent writing a headline like tension in Cashel at protest. There was no tension in Cashel at a protest. These are ordinary, decent people from every walk of life, uh, from right across the different parts of the town and from outside the town. These are people who don't normally say anything much in public, Fran. Mm. But when, they, when they, they felt that this was being imposed upon them, and this is exactly what it was. It was an imposition into a town without any consultation and without any care for the consequences. And we are looking around the country and the consequences of doing that in different villages and towns have been horrific in some cases. A lot of the stories, quite frankly, are being suppressed. For whatever reason, I don't know. I, I'm very surprised that RTE did not come down and cover this last weekend. But it's, it's, been, it's been suppressed, I think, at this stage because they realise that when you open up this debate, a lot of people will start talking who do not normally talk and they'll start making their voices heard. And it is frightening the life of the politicians. It's absolutely frightening. But it shouldn't, yeah. because these are the people who should be doing the leading. They should not have to wait until they fear for their seat or they fear for their expenses. And, and, and the makeup of that audience of the 500 people in Holland, the failure, would that have been cross-party in terms of who they would normally support, Liam? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, uh, I, suppose, I suppose we shouldn't really be saying it, but most people will know... Uh, that a lot of people, they, they have their political background, you know, they have their familiar political background, and most people would know that. But it didn't matter what, it didn't matter what colour or creed you were politically, the people were at that meeting. And it didn't matter what colour, the, the support for the, the, the support for politicians wasn't based on their, their political colour or creed either. Every single person simply wanted to know what the answers were. And they were very, they were left down, in a lot of cases, if we're actually honest, by politicians from across the board telling them that they didn't have answers. Now, that's not good enough. It simply isn't good enough. You cannot be, you cannot spend it, like, in the last budget, fine, and that's only four weeks ago, 
there was a sideline on the budget which was barely covered in the newspaper yeah. afterwards. Yes. That two and a half to four billion euro was being put aside yeah. Yeah. for Ukrainian refugees. Now there's about a hundred thousand Ukrainian refugees in the country. If you're putting aside two point five to four billion, that's between twenty five thousand and forty thousand per refugee. Now, in the name of God, Frank, you cannot put aside that amount of money and not have a proper discussion on it, not have a proper debate on it, because where is that money going to? I mean, who who is getting that money? What services are being provided for that money? Because I mean, well, well businesses who choose to house asylum seekers and refugees, they are benefiting now, aren't they? That's that's exactly it, Frank. And it, it was something that Maggie McGrath said in the doll, and I'll be a tiny bit careful because I'm certainly not going to mention any business. But there are developers now who are looking at the migrant situation, the refugee situation, as a cash cow. Yes. I said, I said last year that the Ukrainian uh, refugee crisis was not going to be a six-point crisis. It was going to be a, at least a 10-year crisis. And there are now people with greedy eyes looking at this and thinking they can fill their pockets for the next 10 years if the government are going to continue to hand out money without any debate. And any time anybody tries to have a debate, it gets shut down immediately. But, friend, that is money that should be put into the country for proper services. And let me get this clear. I am not one of these Irelanders full people. I am not one of these people who do not think that we should look after refugees who genuinely need looking after. You know, there's 15 million people in the country of Holland. It's a third of our size. So there is room in Ireland. But you cannot bring people in to Ireland until the services are put in place first. Yeah, and we, no we heard from Derry, I'm not sure if you had time to listen to the, the top of the programme, we were talking to Derek Russell up in Ross Grey, for example, and yeah. he was talking about people being intimidated, not because there was actual, you know, violence going on or anything, but just people gathering, asylum seekers and uh, Ukrainian people, gathering in numbers, and that on its own is intimidating. And he was making the point, there's nothing for them to do. Yes, it is. That's exactly the problem. And I'm going to be straight here. 90% of the calls I got in the, the couple of days before the meeting last week were from women, were from women and were families with young girls who felt that the, the, the ladies and the young girls would be intimidated. Fran, I know, I know it, it might sound funny, but if you had a bunch of Irish young girls, 18, 19, hanging around the corner, there are people who'd be intimidated by it. Of course, us. of course. You know, I'd be intimidated we, myself if there was a whole bunch of... Absolutely. We have an issue We have an yeah. issue in Catholic mm-hmm. around the graveyard and people feeling For intimidated sure. going in the graveyard. Yeah. You know, so when groups of people gather, some people feel intimidated. Now, if you put 74 people into three houses, and remember, one of those houses was derelict, so yeah. I don't know where they were going to go into that house, with nothing to do, living in some cases, possibly up to 10 to 12 to a room, all day long, unable to work, unable to, you know... We've, we've no idea what language problems they might have. We've no idea what uh, training problems they may have. Mental health issues, whatever. Yeah. Men, yeah. You know, we're talking yeah. about people who potentially are coming from conflict situations. Yeah. Although in some of these cases, Fran, I think there's a certain amount of fake fake uh, news going on about some of the conflict situations they're coming from because some of the countries have said there's no conflict there and we know there's no conflict there, but yet they're claiming they're running away from a conflict. You have them coming out and sitting on the plaza from 9 o'clock in the morning till 12 o'clock at night, sometimes longer, People are going to be intimidated and people shouldn't have to fe- fe- fear that and they shouldn't have to fear it in silence. So when they got an opportunity to come out and say that, they came out and said it. So it's now the responsibility of our leaders to listen to those people because we're not listening to ordinary people. And Liam, ordinary- you, you, you're a great man to do a bit of research. Have you looked into this thing? Because I, I've been trying to look into it uh, lately. We, we keep hearing from politicians all oh, the obligations we have. But with the Treaty of Amsterdam, along with Denmark and Poland... We are not obliged. 
we're not obliged, no. It, it's an opt-in situation. It's an opt-in. No, this, this, is, this is the sort of nonsense that went on. And, I mean, it, it was mentioned by one person at the meeting that, you know, under the Lisbon Treaty, we had these obligations. No, we didn't. Ireland was one, Ireland was one, Ireland and Britain at the time, when they were in Europe, and I'm trying to remember one other country, went the full way with the Lisbon Treaty and pretty much opened up the borders immediately and completely. You know, we then had the, the Dublin Convention on Refugees, yes, yes. which says that a refugee should should seek asylum in the first country of the, where the first country they land in after they after they leave the country that they feel they're fearing. Now, you know, it's a long way from Albania to Georgia, and as far as I know, well, I'm pretty sure there's no direct flights and there's no direct boats. So people who end up in Ireland from these countries have definitely transited through probably five or six different countries before they ever land in Ireland. In a lot of cases, from they're landing in Ireland, we know without papers, but yet they're, they're embarking with papers and disembarking without papers. And we cannot continue to ignore that, Fran. And, and say, wh- when did the difference... I, I was looking back as well at 2015. I think Leo Varadkar was health minister at the time, Liam. And there was a big row in this country. It was a row in this programme as well because we were only allowing in 4,000. Do you remember that, asylum seekers, at, at, yeah. at the time? Now, I was one of the people, I have to say, with my bleeding heart liberal sort of side to me. I was saying that's not enough because these people are genuinely coming from war-torn areas. Um, when did that all begin to change drastically? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. And, you know, I don't want to go down the road of, of, of conspiracy theorists with people trying to displace Irish people. But it seems that we have a situation in this country, and especially after Brexit, I think, that we're now trying to be the best boys in the class, that we now do not want to say no or boo or whatever to the EU. And I don't know, is that because of the discussions going on around the, the hard border in the north or a soft border in the north with, uh, with Britain after pulling out of the, of the EU? So we're constantly trying to be the best boys, and we're constantly standing up and saying, oh, we have obligations. Like, let's be honest about it. It doesn't matter what obligations we have, Fran. If there is there's a problem with resource in the country, you cannot keep bringing extra people in and making the problem worse. Because what's that, what that's going to create is an awful lot of tension that is, I think, there and bubbling mm. and simmering away. But that, that was that, going to be my next question to you, Liam. If this is allowed to get out of control, and it's almost out of control, if, if not out of control, the result of that will be what? It'll be violence. Absolutely, and it's out of control in some places already, Fran. I mean, some of the videos I've been sent from Ross Gray are horrific. Some of the videos I've been sent from Clarny are, are horrific. And these are from people who are living in those areas and having to live with this issue. And I don't want to categorise it as a problem, but let's be honest about it, it is a problem. And it's going to be a... Because if you don't, if you don't address a problem when it's small, it'll simply get bigger. It'll get bigger. And you'll take a place like Cashel that 74 people are, are coming into. Who's to say that, you know, a business person with a property who thinks, well, look, there's some guy making a nice little cash cow here. Let's let's put another 74 people into Cashel. You know, and Clamel is about three times the size of Cashel. So surely Clamel, we can put three or four hundred into Clamel. We can put maybe a couple of hundred into Chip Town in Carrick and Shore. And nobody is saying stop. And we've got to say stop before that happens. Because what will happen is there will be violence. It's happening some, it's happening some places. Up to now, it's it's low-level intimidation to begin with, then it becomes higher-level intimidation, and then it becomes trouble. And we do not have the resources to deal with that trouble. So why are we letting it happen in the first place? I know that you had calls from Leitrim and Midlands, Dublin, Kildare, right right across the country, mm-hmm. but I know that you had some people making contact with you from Ross Gray as well, and I'm just thinking ahead of the public meeting they're holding on, on Friday. Uh, this will be the elephant in the room there, because it's not on the agenda 
But it will be the elephant in the room, will it not? That elephant will stomp right into the room from the beginning. It might not be on the agenda, but I can absolutely assure you that elephant will walk right into that room and it'll let itself be known very, very quickly. Because you've been because hearing from people there. I've been hearing from people there and I've been looking at what's going on up there and we're now beginning to see our own politicians realise it themselves. Michael Lowry has, has addressed it in the doll. Matthew McGrath has addressed it in the doll. I know my, I know Martin Brown is listening to it from people in Ross Grey. I'm damn sure Alan Kelly has been listening to it and Jackie mm-hmm. Kell. Like, if they you see, Mar- Martin Brown has an issue because of the party line, does he not? Where, where Sinn Féin are concerned. That's Martin's issue. If that's Martin's issue, he's got to, he's got to decide, you know, where he stands on that, like, but it didn't matter what politician was at the meeting last last Sunday night. It, they all began to try along along the party line to begin with, but they realised, as you said, on that hall was filled with people from every creed and none, and nobody was taking that nonsense off any of the politicians. Like you can you can you can hold the party line yourself, but I'll give you something my dad said, and you know you know my dad, and I, did, I, did. He, I think he I think he was a fairly astute politician. Yeah. You know, politics is not without people. At the end of the day, you look after your you, you look after the people, and if you look after the people well enough, the people will look after you. But you cannot have people going off to Dublin, as they say, uh, to the doll and listening to the likes of the Adorno Reardons and listening to the likes of the Bleeding Hearts, telling you that this is this is what things should be in the perfect world. We all know what things which how should things should be in the perfect world, but the rest of us live in the real world, friend, and we know what it's like in the real world, and we know what it's like. In smaller towns and villages, were you were you, you called were you called names? By the way, Liam, were, were you... uh, nobody nobody directly to my face. No, but look, right, okay. I, 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 I have I have no issue with anybody calling me names. Yeah, I am very confident and very um, self. I'm uh, sorry, conscious of where I stand myself. So I have I, I've said this to you before. Me, and you, we we've had our differences, and we I've had differences with certain guests on. And we've all been able to talk amicably and leave it amicably. If anybody wants to debate, I'll debate with anybody. If somebody wants to call me names, it means that they have no argument. You know, it, it, when you resort to an ad, an ad hominem attack, and the best you can do to debate me is to call me names, is to call me a racist, is to call me a right-wing loon. First of all, they, they know very little about me. And second, I wouldn't be short and, and quick about putting them back in their box. Right. And just one final question, because this is put around the place all the time as well. The 500 people in Holland of Fela, Liam, was there any attempt by any unscrupulous group to infiltrate that in any way? Was there? No, there wasn't. And if there were, they would have been given short shrift. OK. Um, we were well, we had our eyes well peeled for anyone coming in to try and affect the meeting or trying to cause trouble, because I think that is happening across the country. We've seen it. Uh, we're not the, we're not that sort of people in Cashel. We know where we stand, and we're quite happy with our position. And if anybody tries to come in and attach themselves to our our, our case or our cause, we'll give them short shrift and run them fairly quickly. We don't need outside help for this one. Cashel people look after themselves. All right, Liam. Great to talk to you today, and thanks very much indeed for your time, Liam. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. That's Liam Brown, community activist there in Cashel. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 
Hi there, it's Owen. Hope you can join me from three on Drive Time. We find out what's in the glove box. Also, we'll test your knowledge, what's happening globally and locally with our three at three. We'd have songs to get you through the afternoon on Drive Time. And we'd have more cash to give away as the answer remains the number seven. But what's the question? Hope you can join me from three. Owen Lonergan. Tip FM. With the TFI Go app from Transport for Ireland, paying your bus fare couldn't be easier. Simply buy your ticket on the app, tap to activate, show it to your driver and go. Fares are up to 30% cheaper than cash and you can save your payment details and favourite journeys for easy future purchases. Download the TFI Go app today and use on participating TFI services, including Bus Erin, TFI Local Link and Go Ahead Ireland Commuter, as well as participating commercial bus services. Visit transportforireland.ie for terms, conditions and more. Exceed all your expectations. Renault Megane E-Tech 100% electric with 220 horsepower, up to 450 kilometers range and an electric bonus. Renault will match the €3,500 government grant when you buy a new Megane E-Tech 100% electric. So save €7,000 on your new electric Megane today. Visit Kevin O'Leary Clonmel to find out more. T's and C's apply. See Renault.ie. Are you looking for the best place to get children's shoes? Young Gleason Shoes, William Street, Limerick can guarantee you a friendly professional measuring service. Our experienced team of trained fitters will ensure comfort and support for your child's developing feet. We will measure and recommend the correct style needed for your child, whether it's a pre-walker, first shoes, school shoe or runner. With brands such as Clark's, Geox, Superfit, Asics and Lely Kelly, there's something to suit everyone. Young Gleason Shoes, a family business, for families. It's Black Friday sale time once again and it starts early this year at Arrowmount Furniture Nina. Discounts of up to 70% and more right throughout the store for four days only until Sunday. Living room suites, bedroom furniture, tables and chairs, lamps, pictures, rugs and occasional furniture all reduced for four days of incredible value. So get to Arrowmount Furniture Nina Retail Park Limerick Road Nina for the Black Friday sale for four days only on until Sunday. Open seven days, Sunday 1.30 to 5.30. See aramount.ie. Do you think about your legacy and what you want to leave behind? You know, I've had a great life. My childhood was filled with love and support. But not every child is that fortunate. Many face poverty and adversity on a daily basis. So I'm leaving Bernardo's Ireland a gift in my will to pass on the chance of a brighter future to these children. Visit bernardos.ie forward slash pass it on to get involved and make a difference. Make Christmas for everyone at Dunn Stores with an indulgent box of chocolates like Nestle Black Magic and Cadbury Milk Tray, just €4.99 Euro each. Or choose from a great selection of soft drink 24 can packs like 7up and Club Orange, only €11 Euro each. Plus, with a 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next grocery shop of 50 euro or more. Tip today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. All right, many people on uh, congratulating Liam Brown on uh, his piece with me uh, this morning. Uh, one person saying, well informed, great speaker. If he was so inclined, he should run as an independent himself. Well, there you go. Somebody else saying, shocking disregard for the will of the Irish people and local communities. We no longer have democracy. It's slowly turning into a three-party dictatorship. Animal Farm, the book, comes to mind. Somebody else saying, Matthew McGrath has been calling uh, this out for almost two years and has been called racist and far-right, even by his other... Uh, Arachtis colleagues, particularly Senator Ahern, we have to be able to debate these matters that are of huge importance, it says here. That's into us on 083 311 Let's do this. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Tip FM's Match 3 game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie. Oh, the excitement. Let's go to Josie and Thurless. Josie, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you today, Josie? I'm fine, Fran, thank you. Very good. Are you brimming with confidence about this, Josie? Not, well, not really, no. <laughs> not really, all right. Well, you know the story well at this point. That you I have do, to, I do. You have to pick a box between 1 and 90. By the way, if the box is empty, in other words, if that prize has been won, I'll give you another opportunity to pick another oh, number. That's at that great. Is, that, is that okay? That's all right. great. So the first box that you'd like me to open is what? Number 10. Number 10. Let's have a look at number 10. Now, it's a Ninja air fryer, I'm assured, and that's to the value of just under €160. So it's a nice one. Okay. So another box for me now, Josie. Number 18. Number 18. Let's open that box and let's see what's in there. Oh, you're doing well. It's another Ninja air fryer. Now, you know the story. You have to match three. So pick another box for me. Number 70. Number 70. Let us have a look in number 70 and let's see what the story is there. Uh, Josie, you just missed out. It is an air fryer, but it's a different air fryer. It's a Russell Hobbs air fryer to the value of €130. So I'm sorry you didn't win, Josie. That's okay, Fran. So I'm sorry, but will you you play, play the game with me again? again, Fran. That's right. no problem. And listen out throughout the day, won't you? Because you'll have other opportunities to see what's in the various boxes. Do you want to say hello to anybody, Josie? Oh, I'd love to say hello there to my family, Mary, my daughter Mary, and my um, son Lance, and my son James. And also for my husband, very, Jimmy. Very good indeed. Well, and all I, my neighbours there around. Lovely to talk to you. I hear the dogs barking there in the background. Are they oh, yours, Josie? Oh, he's mad to get in, but I, I put him out while I'd be on the radio. <laughs> Just in case. Well, tell him we heard him anyway. Look after yourself, Josie. Thank you, friend. Thanks very much, Dean. That's Josie and Thurlis today playing our match three. And of course, Stephen will give you an opportunity to do that in just a little while as well. Tip FM's match three game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurlis. Shop online at stakelum.ie. Match three, win the prize. Tip FM. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 
This Christmas, unwrap the joy of shopping at the Showground Shopping Centre Clonmel. With over 20 stores including M&S and TK Maxx and there's free parking. The Showground Shopping Centre Clonmel. Want something to smile about? Here at Bow Dental Clinic Nina, our team of local experts are waiting to help you achieve just that. Our comfortable and modern clinic offers everything from general dentistry, cosmetic, hygienist, surgical, implants, dentures and composite bonding. Pop in to our friendly team of dentists to discuss your options. For more information or to book online, see bowdentalclinic.ie or call us on 067 321 Trust us to make you smile. An emotion stirred. An idea accelerated. That's progress you can feel. And the very definition of the Audi 241 range. From the sporty iconic Audi A4 and the all-electric Audi Q4 e-tron to the pioneering Audi Q8 e-tron, offering greater range than you can even imagine. Test drive the Audi 241 range at an Audi dealer near you today. I trust my kids. I trust my instinct. I trust my doctor to look after me. I trust my pharmacist to give me the best advice. I trust my pharmacist when they recommend a generic medicine from Clonmel Healthcare. I trust they're more affordable. And because Clonmel Healthcare has looked after Irish families for 40 years, I trust they look after me too. Ask for a generic medicine from Clonmel Healthcare, looking after you and yours since 1970. Minogue Furniture Ross Cray, the stock clearance sale you do not want to miss, starts this Thursday. Huge discounts over four days. Minogue Furniture Ross Cray, prices slashed, everything reduced, beds, sofas, dining and much more. Minogue Furniture Ross Cray, four day stock clearance from this Thursday. Amazing deals, end Sunday 6pm. This Saturday, November 18th, Andrew Luby will be getting into the Christmas season when Tip FM will broadcast the Saturday show live from a very festive Stakelum's Home and Hardware Thurless. There'll be great offers on the day and lots of activities for all the family, including Christmas barbecue demo, wreath and garland decorating, face painting, colouring and storytelling for the kids. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas at Stakelum's Home and Hardware this Saturday with Andrew live from 11 until two. <laughs> Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. So I'm now to talk global politics, and I'm glad to be joined by our own Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, and, uh, Fran. Good to see you today. And uh, we're going to have a look at what's happening between Israel and Hamas, or the Palestinian uh, issues at uh, the moment. Um, Peace, it appears that it's out of reach for now, Thomas, is that is that Peace, uh, it would seem that way, Fran. It would seem that way. Look, it is a desperate situation. What is happening in Gaza now is, is unconscionable, really. I mean, uh, Israeli airstrikes, bombardment of, of the territory, calls from international leaders, various international leaders for a humanitarian ceasefire. There is still an argument against the ceasefire. There is still the argument there that it would allow Hamas time to regroup and kind of recalibrate and restock its supplies and could therefore be counterproductive. But I think now we had Ma- President Emmanuel Macron out at the weekend uh, stating his desire for a ceasefire. I think there is growing pressure on Israel uh, to, to, to simmer yes. or 
to, to have some kind of detente. But for for pressure to be effective, it would have to come from the Americans, wouldn't it? It would have to come from external forces. Yeah, uh, and is there any change in that narrative there? There's a dynamic there between the Israelis and the Americans. I mean, we, we saw Anthony Blinken yeah. throughout the Middle East in his visits. We saw him push... Uh, push our American support for Israel and condemn, of course, the brutal attacks of of September of, of October seventh. Uh, but there was there was an underlying tone of, uh, you know, you can't we can't allow these civilian civilian casualties to continue to this extent. And I think that has been the line from the United States. I think that is the way they are approaching this issue now. I think Joe Biden will become increasingly vocal in the coming days and and weeks in terms of uh, reducing the level of civilian civilian casualties. I mean, Israel has Israel has rights or has obligations here. It has obligations to adhere to humanitarian law, to international law that it has to fulfil. And at this point, it looks like that's not happening. I'm looking at the the images and the figures coming out of Al Shifa Hospital yes. in yeah. Gaza, and you know it would bring tears to your Wouldn't eyes. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that isn't to undermine the brutality of Hamas as an organisation and how how dangerous they are, because ultimately. Ultimately, I think for peace to be achieved in Gaza, Hamas will have to be thrown out of power. I think that in the long run. But even if that were to happen and Israel was to to take over security of Gaza, will there not be a great bitterness among the, the Palestinian people? And will that create a void in which some other form of Hamas will evolve? That is the point. And I think the point there is that Israel must not be the only country to take control of Gaza for the day after for that day let's just say let's let's assume Hamas is eventually beaten down and weakened by Israel and eventually we come to a situation whereby the territory needs new governance i think at that stage a coalition of perhaps arab states i'm thinking of the likes of saudi arabia qatar maybe even the uh, the usa uh, to row in behind the people of Gaza yes. and put in place an administration so that there is a plan there for the day after so that we're not left in a situation like we had in Iraq and Afghanistan some years ago when Saddam Hussein fell and suddenly there was a power vacuum uh, and that led to all sorts of brutal atrocities uh, and a dire situation for all. And what about Mahmoud uh, Abbas? I mean, is there a credibility issue there because he hasn't held elections for example. I mean, is his credibility... In- he seems to have been sidelined. I mean, he is there. He For, for those who aren't familiar, Mahmoud Abbas is the president of the Palestinian Authority, which operates the West Bank, uh, another territory of, of Palestinian Palestinian uh, people beside Israel. He seems to have been largely ignored. I know Arthon Shemihol Martin is going out with the intention of meeting him this week. I'm not sure how much power or influence he has. All the opinion polls seem to suggest that he is... He is unpopular, to say the least, that he just doesn't have the degree of control or the degree of respect that you would assume any political leader in in that part of the world should have. And Netanyahu then, I mean, is he going to play, pay any price for what happen, uh, happened on the 7th of October? Because, I mean, we spoke in the past, Thomas, about that intelligence disaster that allowed disaster. that uh, terrorist attack to happen. W- would he pay any price for this? I think he will have to. I think he will have to. I think you have many people in Israel advocating that the sooner Netanyahu gets out of here, the better, because blood is on his hands. He was Prime Minister 
ultimately the buck stops with him and he was the man in power when these attacks occurred. So I think in the long run, uh, Netanyahu's career is going to be shortened. I think he will have to step down. For the moment, he is in charge of the unity government. He's in charge of the war cabinet and it will remain that way. How long? I'm not sure. I can't predict it. Uh, but I suspect it won't be longer than uh, than a year. For as long as it takes to to gain control of Gaza, to, to get Hamas out of the territory or to break Hamas down, uh, he may stay in power. But beyond that, I do not see Benjamin Netanyahu having a future in Israeli politics. I think the, these events were just too catastrophic, too, uh, too damaging to him, to his legacy, to his reputation for him to be able to stay in power. It's, uh, I mean, you know, if it wasn't so tragic, it's fascinating to 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 watch the power play where where this is concerned. But in the meantime, we can just expect more vicious, vicious fighting. I, I think we can expect more of the same from both sides. I mean, Israel is continuing to bombard Gaza. Hamas is continuing to fire rockets back. It should be said. So you know, both sides are at it. But mm. obviously, the situation at Al Shifa Hospital and the hospitals in Gaza is of the utmost concern. I think that is we really what is worrying international leaders and international commentators. They are looking at the scenes emanating from from the lights of Al-Shifa Hospital uh, and it just can't be allowed to go on. We just cannot allow that level of suffering. And just finally, Iran. Iran has a role in this. Iran is obviously an external player here, but its influence is not to be underestimated. It has an influence on Hezbollah, the uh, Lebanese militant organisation to the north of Israel. Uh, Iran equips them with weapons. Iran also equips Hamas with weapons. And Iran is its a belligerent actor in the Middle East. It will do anything to provoke instability there and this plays exactly into its hands this is mm. this is the perfect storm you for know, I, was, them. I was reading this morning I'm sure, sure you did as well that um, America are now releasing more billions to Iran I'm just wondering is that some appeasement or something is that I, I, I would think so I would think there is probably a fear there there's a fear there that Iran will embroil itself further in this in this conflict and provoke more hostility provoke more unrest but it's a really difficult one I mean Iran has had its own problems of course its own social problems what mass protests against the government last year but it has retained power it is still an authoritarian dictatorship and it's a dangerous one it's a rogue state Fran it's an international pariah it's it's all a powder cake isn't it it is really really. indeed and uh, speaking of which can we talk a little bit about US politics and it's an interesting one you're bringing forward today because we're going to have a look at the possibility of what a second Donald Trump term would look yeah. like, Thomas. I don't think there's any predicting it. There are so many possibilities when you think of this. But yeah, so like he's, he's, he's well ahead in the opinion polls, continues to lead the Republican nomination. There was another Republican debate last week, largely ignored by the media here because it's basically irrelevant. Trump is leading so by, by so much in the polls that he looks a shoe-in for the Republican nomination. Whether he can defeat Joe Biden remains to be seen, but let's just say he does. Let's say he comes to power and he secures another White House term. What kind of chaos and what kind of situation mm. would that lead to? Well, last time round, it was total chaos when he entered the, the White House. There was the consternation. Yes. There was consternation. I think he was shocked himself. Mm. I remember the images appearing on, on election night and he looked... He looks shell-shocked. I think this time, were Trump to win, his team around him will come at it with a very different approach, with a detailed plan in mind. And anything I've read suggests that 
his advisors have really gone into this in depth, that they've put in place mechanisms and put in place arrangements that will ensure that he can get the job done, that he can tackle the areas that he likes to tackle. Uh, tax mm. cuts, for example, uh, the border wall, border funding, things like that, that it won't be just sound bites. And some of the more fantastic uh, ideas that he has as well. What, what are we talking about there? There are all sorts. There are all sorts of plans. He has all sorts of plans uh, in the works. I mean, the banning of, of Muslim citizens, that we, we take it back to that court case uh, post-2016, yeah. that's in there. Uh, he has all these kind of bizarre plans to revive the American economy. Uh, there are a lot of different, a lot of different. Uh, will, will you tell listeners about what he wants to do with the homeless people, for example? Yeah, housing the homeless people in in, in tents outside in, of cities, is that? In tents outside of a city, basically getting them out of the urban areas uh, and housing them in tents inside of cities just to clean up the urban areas. I mean, it, some will call it fantastical. Others, others will say it is cruel. Uh, what he plans to do. But it's a really, it's a really unusual scenario, I think, because Donald Trump, Donald Trump is a man who, who is capable of anything. He is capable of wheeling out any policy at any time. So mm. no matter how much you plan or how much detail you put into his plans, he is always likely to be a loose cannon. He is likely to go his own way and suggest policy proposals that... And, and so far this morning, we mentioned the powder keg of the Middle East. We mentioned Iran. Now, if we take, and we're all hypothetical of course, if we put Donald Trump as president into that mix now. Yeah. Where, now he has said where are we then? He has said he will solve the peace process. He he did put yeah. forward a plan to solve the Israeli Palestinian pro uh, conflict when he was president mm. during his first term it was heavily weighted towards the Israeli side and it was therefore rejected it was seen as non-viable Jared Kushner his son-in-law was the main architect of that plan he was responsible for much of it uh, so it looks like he will come down very strongly in favour of Israel. Likewise, the war between Russia and Ukraine. He said he'll solve that in a day. 24 hours. 24 hours is all he needs. 24 hours is all he needs to get around the negotiating table. I mean, he, he makes many of these crises seem farcical. Now, at the same time, at the same time, because Trump is so open to ideas and because he's so surprisingly, uh, let's just say, he's capable of anything, you just don't know what you're going to get from him. So there may be an element there that he may be able to, uh, I won't say solve certain crises, but maybe bring a new perspective to certain situations. It's unlikely. It's unlikely. You're shaking your head there. And no, but I, 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 as you say, I just, I just don't know. I it, just nobody don't know. does. But, but Biden certainly plays into his hand all of the time with some of what's happening there. Yeah, with that, yeah. that administration. It's going to be interesting. Is it a real possibility, Thomas? It's a real viable possibility if you look at the opinion polls now. Now, I mean, Trump is in court at the moment. He's testifying in the civil fraud case uh, he's really he's under pressure at this present moment in time but all the polls would suggest that he's leading uh, he's almost leading Joe Biden in certain scenarios there is every possibility there there is every possibility and it is going to be Joe Biden that he runs against I don't see any Democratic candidate emerging I think the Democratic Party has coalesced around Biden at this stage so it looks like it's going to be him so it will be tight it will be tense uh, but there is every prospect that we could have another Trump term in the White House. 
Wow. We ask you to have a look at uh, a historical figure or a political figure every week for us. Uh, this time you're going to look at a, a woman that fascinates me, to be honest with you, Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, tell, tell us about her. Yeah, recently retired Nicola Sturgeon. People will be very familiar with her. Former First Minister of Scotland retired amidst a, a kind of a scandal yeah. earlier earlier in the well, year. Her, her husband. Uh, her husband, Peter that, yeah. Morell, involved in various dealings to do with the SNP, the Scottish National Party, uh, and she was implicated in them. But she had what could be described as an illustrious political career. Uh, she took over from Alex Salmon, the former SNP leader, after the failed Scottish independence referendum in 2014. Mm. And some would say she has done more for Scottish independence than than mm. any other figure. She, than, she held several portfolios, didn't she? She held several ministerial yeah. portfolios. Yeah. She was born in Ayrshire. She's a law graduate of the University of Glasgow, worked as a solicitor in Glasgow before her election to the Scottish Parliament in 1999. She was Shadow Minister for Health, Education and Justice. Uh, she she entered the leadership of the SNP, but later, later withdrew in favour of Alex Salmond, the, uh her predecessor in the role. So she served under him and by all accounts did a very good job under him. Uh, you know, what was, I think, to the forefront with a lot of the SNP's flagship policies. And this was a period in which the SNP was gradually gaining in traction, mm. was gradually, gradually gaining in popularity and eclipsing parties like the Conservatives and Labour in Scotland. Uh, such was their degree of popularity there. Uh, but she would eventually take over the reins as leader after the independence referendum in 2014. And it was her kind of vitality and her vigour that really pushed forward the notion of Scottish independence. She had, you know, she had massive figures in the polls. The polls uh, voted very strongly in favour of her. Uh, she was hugely popular. She was also very controversial, though, and she wasn't afraid to put her foot in it. She wasn't afraid to say say what she felt to challenge the British government on issues such as independence. Uh, the SNP mm. continued to enjoy electoral success throughout her time, so electorally... And, and there was a plan for another vote, was there not? There was a plan for another but vote. was that in, shot down in the House of Commons, was that? It fell to the wayside. The yeah. House of Commons wasn't prepared to permit it. Yes. Uh, the various cabinets there uh, during the time I think it was Theresa May at the mm. time, uh, and uh, there has been recent recent soundings that maybe we'll have another Scottish independence referendum. That has kind of been uh, dismissed, if you like, by the lights of Rishi Sunak, by the lights of those in power down in uh, down in in Whitehall, mm. down in Westminster. And as you say, she resigned then in the midst of that 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 uh, scandal. And what of her now, Thomas? She's kind of hovering in the background. I haven't seen much of her. I haven't seen her really engaged herself in politics that much. She's said to be living a quiet life, uh, quiet life away from the political scene, but I'm not entirely sure she's finished. She acknowledged, of course, she did acknowledge that she had brought the movement for Scottish independence to a certain point and that she could not bring it any further, that it needed a fresh pair of pants. The man in charge now is a guy called Humza Youssef. Uh, he's... The first, uh, she, he's of, of Hindu descent, he's of Indian origin, which is great for itself, great for the SNP. We have, you know, Rishi Sunak in power in, in the South mm. and obviously Youssef in, in Scotland. But it remains to be seen whether he'll be a man who is able to deliver Scottish independence. It'll be I, very interesting. What do you make of David Cameron uh, coming back? Yeah, as amazing as development yesterday. I, was, I had my eyes glued to it yesterday. <laughs> really couldn't believe it. I, I, I was astonished. Taking everybody by storm. Taking everybody by storm. But 
when you look at it, Fran, I think he's probably a safe pair of hands, albeit he made the catastrophic mistake that was the Brexit referendum, yeah. a real error and a fatal error in terms of his own prime ministerial career. Well, why, why choose him? Is it because he would still know uh, the main actors involved? I think in so, and I think affairs, he is... Yeah. Broadly speaking, he's respected. He's respected amongst the international community. He's seen as a man of integrity, a man of principle, and a man who is kind of capable of bringing his own style to, to both the, the war in Russia and the war in Israel, or the war in Hamas Gaza at this It'll point. It would be, be very interesting indeed. Almost out of time, of course, as uh, usual. But uh, quickly, if we just have a look at what we can look forward to in the week ahead, Thomas. Yeah, well, Spain's Presid- or President Pedro Sanchez has secured a deal to stay in power. He was working with the uh, the Cat- Catalonian Party, Independence Party, yes. to try and force some sort of a deal there. He has managed to get that through. So he is safe for the time being. He's safe, safely ensconced in uh, the uh, as as Prime Minister of Spain, uh, as well as that Germany's never-ending migration crisis, Olaf Scholz getting desperate at this stage, less than two years left in his first term, and his government is struggling to cope with more than a 70% rise in asylum applications wow. so far in 2023. So the famously subdued German censor has resorted to hyperbole. He doesn't want to use big words but he says this is a crisis that needs to be solved and needs to be solved quickly and it is. There is a serious uh, asylum crisis in Germany. Uh, It is brewing. Anti-Semitism is brewing in some parts of the country. There are serious problems there. They need to look at the situation in depth and in detail. And finally, a guy called Franz Timmermans. He's a a former EU politician who's now standing for election as Dutch Prime Minister. We had the former Prime Minister, Mark Rutte. He is stepping down after years in charge. This guy, Timmermans, is is an interesting guy. Uh, he's kind of a flamboyant character, colourful character. Uh, they reckon he might be odds-on to have a shot at the Prime Minister prime ministerial role. So keep an eye on him. He's one, he's one that might feature in, right. in the Thomas, days coming. Thomas, weeks always from. informative and always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Thomas. Fran. Thank you. That's our own Thomas Conway there. Uh, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. What's the point in blending in? Be bold. Choose to stand out. In the new Toyota CHR Hybrid Electric. Built using more sustainable materials with fifth generation hybrid electric technology. Fresh style and outstanding design that leaves ordinary behind. The all new Toyota CHR. Order today for January delivery. Toyota. Built for a better world. They're 100% fresh, they're 100% Irish, and Supermax fresh chicken tenders are 100% delicious. But don't take my word for it. Get down to a Supermax and try some. Go on, you know you want to. Supermax serves 100% Irish chicken, always fresh, never frozen, and none of our competitors can say that. Tasty and tempting food at Supermax. Apply online for learner permit and driving license services, including renewals, Updates, exchanges, and replacements. It's easy and hassle free. Visit NDLS online today at ndls.rsa.ie. Verified MyGovID required. 
A message from the Road Safety Authority. Go full Lidl for our biggest ski event ever. Offers in store now while stocks last. Get peak savings on adult ski trousers and jackets, two for 50 euro. Ladies and men's base layers, two for just 22 euro. Snow way. And don't get cold feet with the ladies and men's winter sports socks, two for eight euro. Go on, shop without compromise. Go full Lidl today. Do you need help to make a healthcare complaint? Contact the Patient Advocacy Service. We are free, independent and confidential. We can support you through the complaints process for public acute hospitals and nursing homes across Ireland. Call us on 0818 293 003 or visit patientadvocacyservice.ie. TFI Local Link operate over 1,300 door-to-door bus services nationwide. If you live on or near one of the routes, just pre-book the day before you travel. Simple. Then off you pop from your front door, off to the shops, off to training or even off to the chipper. And fares now cost 20% less. Find the door-to-door bus routes in your area on transportforireland.ie. If you're on our route, we're on our way. TFI Local Link is part of the Transport for Ireland network. The Euro Millions jackpot is an estimated 40 million euro. Play responsibly in-store, in-app or at lottery.ie. The National Lottery. It could be you. It's 10 degrees today in Tipperary. A perfect reminder to check out how SEAI can help you start your home energy upgrade journey with government grants. Visit seai.ie for more. We've got Dear Phil on the way, but right now it's 11 and Pat Murphy's at the news desk. Morning, Pat. Good morning, Fran. A Tipperary county councillor says unless someone can come up with something to replace the millions of euro that the National Coursing Festival brings to Clonmel, then coursing is here to stay. Sinn Féin's Davy Dunn says his party's decision not to call for an outright ban on coursing and other rural sports was the right one. The Carrigan-Shure councillor attended the Sinn Féin or their Shinathlone over the weekend where a number of motions in relation to coursing, hunting, shooting and fishing were down for debate. The chair of the NUJ Dublin Broadcasting Branch says there are real fears among staff about job losses at RTE. The National Broadcaster has told the government that it will reduce staff numbers by 20% or 400 people over a four-year period. A new strategic plan has also acknowledged that RTE must progressively reduce costs and overheads. The first nine months of this year have seen a record number of houses built in County Tipperary. That's according to the CSO who say there were 379 new homes finished by the end of September. The latest figures show an increase of nearly 50% on the same period last year when 254 were completed. Not all car seats are suitable for all types of cars is the warning coming from the Road Safety Authority. If a child's car seat isn't fitted correctly, it could lead to a serious or fatal injury in the event of a collision. There's a team from the RSA that will check yours for free in the car park at Aldi in Clonmel today until 5.30 this evening, as well as at Tesco on the Limerick Road in Tiptown tomorrow and Tesco in Cashel on Thursday. Tip FM Sports and Weather's next. As Ireland's newest energy supplier, what are You Know Energy bringing to the party? For starters, an app that lets you see how much energy you're using so you know where to cut down and save. And on top of that, you can save up to €508 per year compared to our other supplier's standard rates. It means when you join our party, you'll know you're with the right one. Visit youknowenergy.ie. Comparing Uno discount fixed rate EAB €1,765 and the average of our other supplier standard rates as per CRU July EAB report. Supplier pricing may change. T's and C's apply. Tip FM Sport. 
Tipperary's Dermot Barron will miss Monster's URC meeting with last season's beaten finalists, the Stormers. New in Hooker is following the return to play protocols this week, having suffered a head injury in Friday's defeat to Ulster. Bundyaki will miss Connacht's upcoming United Rugby Championship games in South Africa due to a hamstring injury. Drummond Inch's Munster Senior Camogie semi-final will be played at the RAG this weekend. The reigning Munster champions and five-in-a-row winning tip champions take on Waterford side De La Salle on Sunday at 1.30 in a repeat of last year's last four clash, which Drum won by five points after extra time. In soccer, the Republic of Ireland squad will begin the build-up later to Saturday's concluding European Championship qualifier against the Netherlands. The biggest question mark is over the fitness of striker Evan Ferguson, who's had a scan on his hamstring and back. The teenager missed Brighton's game against Sheffield United at the weekend. In racing, the Aidan O'Brien-trained August Rodan, who won both the Irish and Epsom Derbies and the Breeders' Cup turf this year, will remain in training as a four-year-old next year. Bally Doyle Stable had the option to immediately retire the horse to stud. Tip FM weather. With Templemore Motors Toyota. Relax with a new service activated warranty. Extra peace of mind with every service. To find out more, call Templemore Motors 0504 31222. Blustery today with a mix of sunny spells and scattered showers. Some of those showers will be heavy and thundery. Highest temperatures of 10 to 12 degrees. It's 10 degrees in Boris Akane at the moment. That's your update for now. You can get more local stories via the Tip FM app or at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and you're very welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. And we spoke to Derek Russell from Ross Gray on the show ahead of that public meeting that's happening there on Friday at the Muntinatira Hall to discuss several issues, indeed, in the town relating to antisocial behaviour and the like. Here's a little of what Derek had to say to me this morning, just after nine. People have been saying that, you know, these people coming into town, they're getting social welfare and whatever, and... But then they're going into town, into shops and just picking up stuff that they seem to think that's the way mm. the business is done, like. And, you know, you'd love just for someone from the department to come, come down and talk to a couple of different groups around the town and just explain and tell them, look, we're here if there's a problem, ring us. But there's nobody to ring. And is that your understanding that, you know, people come in in great numbers and they're kind of abandoned to their own devices then at that point, Derek? Is that well, your... it, would, it would look that way. And yeah. I was listening to your programme there last week and the people around from Cashel. And yeah. by the sounds of it, it was something the same in Cashel. Yeah. And I'm sure it's the same in other towns around the country. And, like, there needs to be clarification as well. You're very welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. And we spoke to Derek Russell from Ross Gray on the show ahead of that public meeting that's happening there on Friday at the Muntinatira Hall to discuss several issues indeed in the town relating to antisocial behaviour and the like. Here's a little of what Derek had to say to me this morning, just after nine. People have been saying that, you know, these people coming into town, they're getting social welfare and whatever, and... But then they're going into town, into shops and just picking up stuff that they seem to think that's the way mm. the business is done, like. And, you know, you'd love 
just for someone from the department to come, come down and talk to a couple of different groups around the town and just explain and tell them, look, we're here if there's a problem, ring us. But there's nobody to ring. And is that your understanding that, you know, people come in in great numbers and they're kind of abandoned to their own devices then at that point, Derek? Is that well, your... it, would, it would look that way. And yeah. I was listening to your programme there last week and the people around from Cashel. And yeah. by the sounds of it, it was something the same in Cashel. Yeah. And I'm sure it's the same in other towns around the country. And, like, there needs to be clarification as well. Um. You know, there's people coming to Rossway, people coming genuinely for work reasons and that. Mm. And people need to, that, this needs to be clarified to people because people are painting everyone with the one brush, like, as well. Which yes, of course. It's not yes. fair either, like. And that's uh, Derek Russell of Ross Grey Stands Up uh, speaking to me just after nine this morning. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on Tip Today with Phil Prendergast. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Fran, and good morning to all the listeners. Did you bring that bag of problem-solving with you? I have it sorted. <laughs> Completely sorted. Everything is sorted. I'm delighted to hear it. Let us launch into this, Phil. Uh, letter number one. Dear Phil, my partner and I have been together for a few years and we're very happy. My partner has always struggled with her weight. While it uh, has never bothered me, I know it's been a huge issue for her. She put on more weight over the last few months and she has decided that enough is enough and she wants to travel abroad to get weight loss surgery. I've tried to be supportive and asked her to try something else first. We both joined a gym and we've been watching what we eat, but she says the weight loss is too slow. She's adamant that she wants to power ahead with weight loss surgery and has saved enough money to go. She has researched it and claims to have found a good, reputable clinic and has two consultations with them so far. I'm really afraid of her going abroad for surgery because I've heard horror stories about what can happen to people and I'm so afraid of something happening to her. How can I convince her to plug away with weight loss and not risk anything happening by going abroad for surgery? I think this is a complex enough situation for the poor man and the poor woman indeed. Now, I mean, there's a lot of very successful surgeries that happen in Turkey and prices range from 3,800 to 2,800 depending on where you're going or whatever and they seem to have a very good system but they are outside the EU and their standards are not required to conform to EU rules and regulations in relation to the length of time some somebody should be there if there's any existing coexisting um, health conditions like hypertension any renal problems any circulatory problems these all have an impact and of course, there may be hormonal effects of why people would put on a lot of weight or even be slow to lose it. I think there's, you know, I mean, I've known many people who've gone to Turkey for surgery and it's been very successful mm. for them mm. and they look fantastic and all the rest of it. Um, but there's very good bariatric surgery, as it's called in Ireland as well, very available and probably... Well, it's very costly. Figured, it is very costly, yeah. but I think if they want to compete with the amount of people that are going abroad, both male and female, I might add, for bariatric surgery to or obesity surgery, as it's all also called <laughs> ignobly mm. um, they they need to start maybe doing um, a system where it, it's more affordable for people to have it in this country if that is what's decided. I understand the husband's perspective that he's very worried because mm. he has maybe known people as we have that came back 
and within 10 days they, they had they had passed away and it's complications where there's not a follow-up or they feel they can't go to the doctor yes. or present in the local hospital or whatever. So it's um, it's a very complex situation and it really would be better if she would keep plugging at the gym and doing a, a, some sort of a diet that was fixed up for her. It's not rocket science because now anybody that has an issue with weight can join a, a, a consultant, they can join a class, they can join specifically geared towards weight loss and body image and it, it's specifically geared towards you know having a sort of a, a buy-in from all the people and everyone's story helps another person in yes. the room. So there is that as well but it is there's horses for courses and some people just would like the kind of more instant thing but there's a lot of there's a lot of downsides to bariatric surgery as well. I mean, very limited in the the amount of food you can eat. There's a social aspect to it. There's there's all digestive mm. issues related mm. to it. But there's also huge success with it. So, Fran, I think it's something that this man is going to have to try and convince her a bit more that maybe if she was to give it six months and continue with the saving. She could go off for a fabulous holiday. Yes, of course. You know, yeah, and yeah. and feel much better about herself. But to to want the instant hit and to go to a country that's outside the EU, it's fine because it's worked for mm. a lot of people. But we do hear of the horror stories that this of poor course, man yeah. has obviously researched. What I I love my food, as you can probably notice. But uh, I I would just be afraid that it would take the joy out of you know. Well, it's going to take the joy out of eating, Fran. If you're going out for a meal or you're at a wedding um, and you're thinking, well, I can have a starter. I can have three spoons of that soup or, you know, a little slice of the salmon. And is that what it's down to? Well, it's it's it depends on the gastric band. If mm. it's a gastric band... It's uh, it's very tightened, so there's only a small amount of the stomach. And when that's full, the feeling of fullness is persist. Now, there are people that get it done and they'll eat past that feeling of fullness and they'll expand the band from within <laughs> with okay. volume. And, yes. of course, that's going to defeat the purpose. Yeah. But there's and also you'd feel very unwell, I would imagine. You, you wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. feel good at all. But it would be worse if it was actually um, surgery and not a band because then you can actually rupture. Okay. Where they, you know, where they made the stomach small. But anyway, they they're kind of the nightmare ends, and I don't want to focus in on that. Mm. But there's a whole lot of maybe counselling. She should go and have a chat. She should maybe go and talk to some um, person that's running a, a, a slimming group, or mm. go to. You know, there's loads of places you can research. Well, she seems to be making some progress, but for her, it's just too slow. But uh, you see, it didn't go on overnight. Yeah, of course, um, is yeah. the thing as well. Well, it has to be realistic. I mean, the the optimum people should try for is maybe about a pound a week. Now, I mean, I think that wouldn't be enough for me at all. However, if I was sometimes up a pound a week, I'd be saying, sure, it's not too bad, you know? Oh, I know, I <laughs> So know, it's, know. it's not easy and it is complex yes. and there are lots of success stories. There's lots of people walking around this yes. country that have had very successful surgeries. There's also people inside the cemeteries within a week of coming back because right. they got an infection or they because they apparently they have it worked in with um, a hotel where they go to the hotel afterwards and that's where their their post-operative care happens, so to yeah. speak happens and then they get on a flight and come home and of course there's a risk then with 
you know, DVTs and things like that, which is a tot. So, look, mm. um, and, I, and I really don't want to get the message out there that I'm against this. I'm not making judgments right. on people that either have had it or people that were bereaved because somebody went and had it. But, and because there's a huge amount of success out there. Yes, but, but weigh it all up. If weigh you it, the well, pun. if you pa- yeah, pardon yeah, the yeah, pun, yeah. it's right. Know. You know. Somebody says, um, advise the, the lady in question to try Body Slim's weight loss program. It's amazing, says one of her. Well, there's so many programs. Well, there's, there's, right. there's Weight Watchers, yeah. there's Slimming mm-hmm. World, there's, yes. you know, there's all of these, there's exercise, there's, there's gyms that will give you, um, you know, a very good exercise and uh, weight loss programs. They, they do seem to encompass very much now but it is very much part of the whole getting involved with a group or a team and whether that's Slimming World or whether it is going to the gym where everyone there's a camaraderie and there's a kind of you know mm. and you work to your own pace not by someone else's pace okay, you know so lo- lots of options out yeah. there letter number two dear Phil I got married last month after a year engaged it was a day I put a lot of work into in order to make it a special day for us the wedding also came at the end of a difficult time as we both lost loved ones uh, to illness in the run-up to the wedding, so I was really looking forward to having a day that was all about us. That was until my sister's boyfriend had decided to propose to her on the dance floor at our reception. I was really taken aback when it happened, and the whole night then was all about her engagement. I plastered a smile on my face for the night after and let on nothing. Let me be clear, I'm very happy for them, but I'm really upset that she chose my wedding to do it. The whole night, everybody kept asking me, was I put out? And I kept saying, not at all. But I was lying. I was really gutted. I thought she might apologise for it, but she never did and has been totally caught up in her own planning. She even rang me when I was on honeymoon to ask me how much I paid for a deposit on the reception. I feel like she totally forgot about me and she is really being selfish. Do I address it with her or should I just suck it up and bite my tongue? Oh, certainly would not bite my tongue. I think she knew that that was going to happen. She's an unholy bitch. <laughs> don't, I mean, don't hold anything back now. No, but I mean really. An unholy bitch. To, 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 yeah. Imagine to just do that on someone else's wedding day. Her sister's wedding day. Yeah. I mean, there's... Why not give the occasion... Why hijack someone else's special day? Maybe your man sprung it on her, did he? She said that she, she knew about this engagement. Oh, her sister okay. knew about it. She knew okay. it was going to happen. I mean... Why you would even think that that was a right thing to do? I mean, really and truly, this is like the mother of the bride or the mother of the groom coming up in a long white dress (laughs) to outshine the bride. It's a ridiculous thing to do. And I really do think that this wasn't correct correct behaviour. I honestly don't. And I think your woman was very... The the bride was very, very uh, restrained that she could plaster a smile on her face. But could you imagine, you know, so much going on in your special day and one of your family decides to reign in your parade and just decide to, yeah, I'll get I'll get engaged now and that'll take the light off of her. Yeah, because there's so many sort of uh, unwritten rules about you not upstaging the bride, whether why, it's colour scheme or whatever. Yeah, why would you? You know, I mean, it's just not... their day, it's not their occasion it's not their moment and why to hijack the attention, Or because it does take attention from the bride But Phil, it's done now, so addressing it like will cause murder 
Yeah, it is done now. But like, I really and truly would be like, if she, if she, she said, should I address it with her? Or should I suck it up and bite my tongue? She most certainly is very upset. If she wrote to us, Fran, she's very upset yeah. over what happened. Yeah, and it's just not good. And I mean, it happens quite a lot, actually. Does it? It does. Yeah. I mean, this is not the first I've heard of something like Go this away. happening. Somebody trying to upstage well, the bride. Somebody, they don't even think like that. You oh, see, right, they just okay. think, oh, it's the occasion. All the family are here together. Listen, let's just pull out the ring. It'll be great. Everyone will celebrate with us. It'll be marvelous. We'll have a double celebration. It's not their day. Right. An unholy bitch. An unholy bitch. So you, so you're saying to to the bride or the sister anyway to to address it. And Absolutely, don't, and just don't, say don't to her, back. listen, I wasn't impressed. You needn't be asking me anything about how much deposits were. Now go off and find out for yourself. All right, final letter then. Dear Phil, I'm in my 20s and the youngest of four children. My parents always had a good, uh, solid marriage and they were great parents to us. They were never very affectionate with each other, but they never fought and always got on. My mother came to me last month and announced that the marriage was over. And not only that, but she was gay. She said she had always known she was attracted to women, but she says she grew up in a time when it wasn't acceptable by her family to pursue a relationship with a woman. She says she married my dad because he was a good man, and while she loves him, she has never been attracted to him. This hit me like a total bolt out of the blue. I never expected this and had no inkling of it at all. My mother seems very sure of her decision, has since moved out of the family home and is staying with her sister. My dad is devastated but says that everybody needs to try to move on now and have a good relationship. He says he also had no idea until my mum admitted it all to him a few weeks ago. Um, she maintains that she is no longer going to live a lie and now wants to have the life that she wants after being a good wife and mother for decades. We're all floored and not sure what to do. Although I admire my mum for being true to herself, I feel like she doesn't recognise the devastation it has caused to the family. I feel like my whole life has been a lie. How can we make sense of everything after this bombshell? Yeah, it's a very it's it's a very big announcement to make, I suppose. But you know what? All, all all credit to the mother for being able to call it out and realise that you know this is her her true direction that she wants to go and that she has raised you know four young people and uh, a good husband by all accounts. Um, this this is part of life. It's not the first case like this. It happens as it does happen as well, where men know that they're gay, but they, they marry because they want to keep yes. up the facade of being normal. And I am very much inverting commas with normal, because what is normal? Mm. It's mm. normal for for people to be the way they are orientated. It's not it's not something that's bought or bought into, or it's not something that's contagious. It's absolutely the way it is. So this woman is is finally being, and it's not easy for what she did at this hour of her life mm. to decide that she just wants to be, um, you know, she wants to be in a relationship and she wants to be with someone of her own sex. And I suppose there's a lot of counselling that needs to happen maybe for the family. And there is family counselling services that are very freely available and they should consider that. I know the father must be reeling if he had absolutely he be, no he, idea. He seems to have loved her, you know. Yeah, yeah. Probably and, still loves her. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And he won't stop loving her either. And yeah. she won't stop having, you know, even though they were not very affectionate, she probably knew she was hiding this secret and it was probably tearing. And at a time as well when it wasn't um, common for people to declare their sexuality. Yes. And yeah. people often married just to kind of keep the facade up that everything is fine with us and the fact you have kids, you think, oh, well, everything is normal. There's normal relations. You know, there's normal intercourse. There's normal everything happening as it should. Um, and you know that this is a very, very, this is a bombshell mm. and I can understand it. So, so what do you say to the daughter then? I would say to her, her mum waited until now to go and try and get her true calling in life and she's entitled to that as well. Mm. She doesn't stop being her mum because she's lesbian. Mm. She doesn't stop being her mum because she wants to go in a, a different direction. I think, and, and I'm sure the mum has spoken to her her husband or ex-husband mm. or for whatever she wants to call it now um you know that that this is i f- i feel i've been living a lie for mm. all of these years four good kids they're raised to a good age they they all seem to be fine and um yeah it's a bombshell and there might be even people that are embarrassed about it and they're not comfortable with it mm. but there's others that are going to say my god i wish i had her bravery Phil, it's always a pleasure and thanks very much indeed. We'll be putting some of those letters up on our social media as well for your input indeed if you want to have a look at our various... I apologise for the B word earlier. The the unholy bitch? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to keep reminding you about that, you know. Uh, Phil, always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. We'll take a break. Back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, Susan O'Donoghue is an established relationship mentor and co-creational psychotherapist and she joins me in studio once again. Good morning to you, Susan. How are you? Great, Fran. Good morning. How are you? Um, I'm really intrigued with your topic today because Sunday, as you say, is inter. International Men's Day. Yes, happy Bow International time. Men's Day. Bow time. Bow, bow time <laughs> and, and all of that. Why are you homing in on that uh, today, Susan? Um, because I think, uh, you know me now, I'm all talking about emotions and I think that it's something that might be hard for men. And I thought I'd take this opportunity to have a look how men feel around it and what comes up for them around it. And I suppose uh, what's interesting is this, I suppose, what they're, what they're focusing on this year is men and suicide. So, uh, and that's a huge issue, as we all know. And I suppose then, back in 22, it was helping men and boys. And back in 21, it was uh, men and women's relationship. Mm. And you know my take on men and women and the relationship. It's the relationship with yourself that really yes. matters, yeah? yeah. That's, that'll, that'll, uh, that'll, I suppose, be the... I suppose, be the lovely, lovely um, relationship you'll have with everyone else if your own is lovely with you. So that determines what goes on with other people. So for me, I suppose, I just wanted to look at how men take care of themselves and what do they do around it and how is it for them? And I suppose what came up for me a lot is, I suppose there's certain things in your life and ways you can take care of yourself. And for men and women, I think we're divided still, yeah, in the sense of women are seen as more mothering and nurturing and men get the role then of being the provider mm, yeah mm. and the stern one and the strong one and for me I, I'm not comfortable with that divide it doesn't sit right for me because I li- like to look at us all yes I know there's a difference yeah mm, mm. <laughs> but I still like to look at us as human beings and I think that we all need a certain 
level of both that nurture and that care and that lovely being able to assert yourself and being strong. As a woman, I feel like I'm entitled to be have those lovely masculine mm. qualities as mm. well, as well as the feminine ones. So I think for men, I love to see that they take care of themselves, they nurture themselves, they don't feel like they have to take everything on their shoulders. But I do believe that for most men, that that's the way the culture kind of sets them up. Yeah, know? and that it's still like that. The 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 other thing, I mean, you, you, you talk about even, you know, guys who, you know, would think about these things and you might try and embrace some of the ideas that you mentioned there. But is there not uncertainty now where men are concerned in terms of how to behave even? There is, yeah. There's a lot going on, isn't, isn't there? Isn't there? Yeah, you know, um, and I think... There's a lot of there's a lot of protectors going on. There's always a lot of protectors going on in the world, anyway. But I think that we are hopefully we're moving a bit more towards consciousness and having a look at our own behaviours. Mm. There's a lot of blame and shame, and mm. you know, um, there's a lot of uh, not taking responsibility for our own stuff. Do you know what I mean? And I, I you know, I suppose if one man does something wrong that doesn't we don't tear that we we look mm. that we don't tear everybody with the same brush but isn't that happening around uh, the unfortunate murder of that lovely girl Ashing Murphy yeah. and again you know I mean a lot of the conversation afterwards that every man is a potential rapist or a potential yeah. attacker or a potential killer of women that is that not dangerous Susan that, what's coming know? up for me now strongly is I would love and I would love to know how men feel around this. Is that what's coming up for you, friend? It is, it is, yes. And that's that to me like is what's important Mm. because it's how it's impacting each person. Yes. That's what's important. Do you know what I mean? Like I can't say as a woman that I know what you're feeling. I can't Mm. say as as, as a human being that I know what another human being is feeling. But what's coming up for you is that's what's important. Mm. And that's what needs to be able to be discussed without blame or shame or, Mm. you know, calling someone out, well, you're this, you're that, you're the other. I think to have this open conversation around how is it for you Mm. and what what would support you in that? Do you Mm. know what I mean? That you don't feel like you're being, I suppose it's nearly being like victimised in a sense that you're told that you're because one man done this and now you know my take on that like there's a story there mm, yeah, yeah yeah it yeah. doesn't doesn't make the behaviour okay but there's definitely a story there mm. yeah um, I think that you know it's what's coming up for each man is important but what I have seen in my own practice and I'm so happy that I have because it gives me hope is that I would say I have 50 and 50% male and female now do you agree? yes which is I'm to very me, surprised yeah that. yeah and I would say that it has happened over the last maybe five or six months I would have a, an even balance now of both and to me that's huge progress you know, because in the past, men would have found it very difficult to go to a psychotherapist. Well, I to, think you know there was a, a stigma. Or, yes, you know what I mean? And that you were weak yeah. in some way. Yeah, that's the word, isn't yes, it? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That maybe you weren't able to take care of yourself, yes. so they're not able to take care of your family. And what does that mean for you? And how was it when you were small? What message did you get? Yes. Around being weak, what message did you get around um, not being good enough or not being strong enough? you know because that's your male role that's the way that's the role so that's what I mean about the masculine and the feminine like um, my very wise son I was talking to this about him a couple of years ago now I'd say and I said to him about the masculine and the feminine I was saying we all need equal mm. equal amounts of both and he said so why did they call it masculine and feminine and I said thank you very much Good very question. wise Good I said question. I believe we should change it to human qualities yeah 
yeah, and throw them all in the in the bucket and pick, you know, pick, have an even share of all of them, not not separate them out like that. But I suppose traditionally, when you think about it, these are the roles that men took on because I suppose back in the day men men would are stronger than women physically in the sense of they can go out and hunt and gather and women you know we have children and we have nurtured them and you know we're able to feed them and I suppose that's the sense of that where that comes from but very wise very yeah, wise we, we can't deny the fact either though that you know some of the roles are appropriate in their own way I mean I've seen over the years women's instinct where children are concerned, for example, right. that I could never have in a million right. years. Do you know, so they're presented with a newborn baby with, with little or no instruction and instinctively yeah. they care for that baby. And, like, am I wrong in pointing that out, Susan? I like, wouldn't think so. I would think because, um, like, as a mum, right, like, you can, you can feed your baby. Yes. Yeah? So there's an instinct there to know what to do. Yes. Now, sometimes it can be very difficult and it's not that you feel like, oh mm. my God, how is this supposed to be natural? Yeah. <laughs> but I think there is an instinct there that you know, you know, it's like, I mean, in the animal world, you see it, don't you? It's not that, you know what I mean? We're animals, but I'm just mm. saying, you see that instinct and you see the way, you know, um, is it the penguin where the, the father nurtures the child? No, I didn't know I think, that. is it a penguin? I'm not 100% yeah, sure yeah, now. Yeah, I'll probably yeah. get, no, you're not right. Yeah. But I think it's the penguin that nurtures the child and the mum goes off. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And it's interesting, you know what I mean? I believe that we all have a capacity to nurture and we all have a capacity to, um, like, I suppose, go out there and be assertive and be strong and provide. I don't, I, I don't um, particularly like the separation, that, yes. you know, but I do understand that, like, the mums feed their children. And yes, there is, and um, we don't want to, uh, I suppose, dilute that either, mm. you know, or dilute the fact that men are the ones who go out and make sure everything's okay while all this is going on, you yeah. know. And uh, what should, I mean, for, for men listening to us today, and we, you know, we were a bit facetious about Sunday and the, the sort of International Men's Day and all of that, but what should we keep in mind, do, do, right. do you think, Susan? I think for men, I think. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female to me, right? Because we're all human, mm. right? But mm. I think there's a couple of things that we can look at around it for ourselves. And I suppose it's like, how is it? How how are you physically to yourself? I suppose, um, am I safe to express things for myself? Like, do I take care of myself physically? Do I make sure that I eat right? Do I do I drink too much? You know, do I put pressure on myself? You know, in the sense of I go out running, you know, seven days a week and do it. You know, is 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 that achievement thing? You know, kind of built in and innate that I have it since I was small, and it's kind of a necessity thing now, and I'm using it now to be seen. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah now yeah. I'm. Oh, he's a great fella, or he's a great. She's a great woman, or whatever it is. You know. Oh, they're they're brilliant. Sure, they're doing hundred miles. Out, and you sure they never eat. They're not. They're running around the place. They're always on the go. You know what I mean? They put everybody else first. Like, have a look at those little things in your life. And I suppose a big one for people is intellectual. You know. What do you mean? Um, in the sense of. Like, I believe, right, that we're all born intelligent, mm. right? I believe that there's a difference between intelligence and knowledge. Yes. Yeah, a huge difference. And I think that you'd meet some people who never spent a day, never opened a book, but know how to survive. Like, mm. you wouldn't believe. That's intelligence to yeah. me. That's yeah. that's. That's yeah, that's the, survival. the ultimate really, oh. when you think of it because it's about survival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, like that's <laughs> how I look at it. And then look about how do I feel now about the knowledge I possess. Do I feel 
because uh, I'm in a room full of people, say, and this happens at work a lot, you know, where I'm in a room full of people and I'm afraid to say, sorry, I, I don't understand what that word means or, uh, sorry, could you explain that to me again? Like, how would it be for you to be able to say that? It wouldn't be fantastic. But again, are we but, back to the word weak, that we show weakness? If that's, we... that's, and what, where, where in your life then were you told that it was that weak, that was weak. Yeah, to ask yeah. a question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where in your life were you told that this is not the done thing, you know? And I think for a lot of men, it's around sports, isn't it? Because like they're pushed yeah, into the sports yeah, the side of it. Thing, yeah. yeah, you know, and think about um, being in competition. It's never about being in competition with someone else. It's about being in competition with yourself. Mm. Yeah. So and it's not about beating yourself with a stick. Because, like, even nowadays, like, I suppose when, when you have psychology and all that in sports and all that, it's about the enjoyment of it as well. Mm. And we see how the Irish rugby team did so well. And they all said that because they were there, it wasn't like... They, they, there was an enjoyment in it as well. There was a bit of fun in it. It wasn't like, mm. you know, that they were beaten with a stick the whole time. Of course, but and still Johnny Sexton was devastated. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, devastated. So, so but he's so, very driven, isn't he, yeah, Johnny? He is, yeah, he is, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, very yeah, driven. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it, like... I suppose for a lot of people who are at that level, you know, there's a certain sense of being the best as well. Do you know? Because you're not going to get there unless... You you mentioned the suicide aspect of it as well. And mental health, Susan? Mental health. I was actually at that... uh, There was a thing in Care House for Youth Mental Health on Thursday night and I actually met Frances Black. And she's lovely. Like, Mm, I'd never met her before. Oh, my God, she's so nice. And um, I know the minister for Mary Butler was there as well. I didn't meet Mary Butler now. But um, it was so interesting to talk to Frances, you know, because we were just talking. She said, what what is a relationship mentor like? Because the minute people hear it, they think it's about couples or it's Mm, about... mm. And I said, it's about the relationship with yourself. She went, oh, my God. Sure, that's it, isn't it? And I said, yeah, kind of is, you know. And I think for me... Uh, the mental health aspect of it, right? To me, it's your emotional well-being, right? And as I said before, all your feelings are for you and about you, right? They're created by you. You're never there to do harm to yourself. They're there to alert you to the deeper stuff that's going on, yeah? So that stuff mm-hmm. like you're not good enough, um, you know, uh, that all them put-downs you got, maybe like, you know, you'd be seen through maybe being successful, achieving, you know, you're the one who goes out and earns the money and therefore you're seen through that. Sure, it fell all together. Mm-hmm. It provides mm-hmm. so well for his family. Yes. Or you have a title of a job or, a, yeah. Yeah. or new, you know, big care, big house, yeah, big, yeah. you know, flash everything and inside then you're falling apart because you feel like you're, you're really not that. Yes. But you feel like you have to achieve it the whole time just to get a bit of recognition. And that's what unco- that's what that's what conditional love is and what the real thing is looking for unconditional love. So if there was one message around Sunday then uh, what what would you say? I would say have a look at how your behaviors are. What they're doing for you. Are you acting out of fear? Or are you acting out of a place that's solid and for yourself? If there's a sense of fear coming up in it, you know, like I had a great interesting conversation with a friend of mine and they were saying that, you know, uh, when their daughter or son is playing a game or whatever and they're on the sideline, they're filled with, oh, come on, come on, come on, you know, that sense of don't, don't fail. And that's not about their children. It's about themselves. Yeah. And when they go in and attack the referee or whatever, that's... That's you know, that's that fear of not achieving. That's that fear of not being good enough. That's that fear. And it's the fear that they're passing on. That's the bag they pass on to their children then. 
It's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, Susan, if people want to talk to you, how can they do that? It's it's info at emotionalwellbeing.ie and it's 086-3676-256. Thanks, Fran. All right. Lovely to see you as always, Susan. Thanks very much indeed. And if my lot are listening uh, Sunday, bring gifts, bring (laughs) presents. Hugs, hugs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll take a break. We're back with uh, some cookery in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Celebrity chef and star of Ireland AM on Virgin Media, Edward Hayden will be popping on his apron for a Christmas cookery demonstration in the theatre at the Horse and Jockey Hotel on November 27th at 8pm. So Edward from the Edward Hayden School of Cookery is well known for his uh, hugely popular appearances on TV and I'm glad to be joined by him now. Edward, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran, and I'm delighted to join you on your show for, I think, the first time. So thank you for the invitation. Well, you're extremely welcome. But I do have a message for you because I was in Rathana in County Carlow the other night. (laughs) And I was told told to mention the two dolls to you. So that would be Liz and and Anne. And they're big fans of yours. They said to say hello anyway, Edward. And I of them. And they're absolutely fantastic. And I heard that yourself and Uriel were there the other night and went down a treat. Uh, You have them all... uh, you have malls on the slot in, in Rahana. Oh, I'll tell you now. I'll tell you, no stopping of them indeed. What can people expect at the Horse and Jockey, Edward? Well, now, Fran, they can expect, first and foremostly, a really nice evening. And I think that's the whole thing. I mean, cooking uh, is kind of the universal vernacular, isn't it? And everybody wants to be involved in it in some way, shape or form, because we all have to eat. So what this uh, demonstration is on the 27th, Monday the 27th, in the Fabulous Horse and Jockey, it's to prepare people for Christmas. And I always think, Fran, there are two types of people that are cooking at Christmas people who are cooking Christmas dinner for a very long number of years and are looking for a way to kind of, you know, jazz it up or Mm. fix it up a little bit after all that time. And then there's also a cohort of people who are perhaps, for one reason or another, cooking Christmas dinner for the first time and it can be a very daunting challenge. So I'm hoping that what I'm going to do on the night will straddle the needs of both um, and will give them some nice tips around Christmas entertaining because, you know, that biblical sense, I think, is there with food, it's the coming together, it's the shared uh, endeavour around food and the sharing of food is really important and I think food punctuates a lot of our Christmas uh, celebrations so I'm going to hopefully have people prepared and ready with a host and series of really good recipes of a fabulous menu lined up and uh, yeah, hopefully we will pardon the pun, wet people's appetites <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you will indeed I would imagine particularly for first timers with the Christmas dinner because as you say, it's so much at the core of uh, the, the, the holiday. Um, it, 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 there must be, like, it must be very daunting, as you say, for them to even know where to begin, I suppose, Edward. It certainly is. It certainly is. And I suppose as well as the recipes we'll be giving on the night, you know, there's that sh- that, that, that sense of access to the chef. So in terms of our general discourse over the evening, I'll be signposting people to a few top tips and tricks around it as well. Mm. And as boring as it may sound, Fran, the top tip I can now share with your listeners this morning 
is that thing that we all learned in the beavers or the boy scouts or the brownies or the girl guys. And it's to be prepared, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a, it, there's a body of work and a tranche of work involved in it, um, which is very pleasant once you kind of give yourself sufficient lead in time to plan it out, to think it out and to sit with your thoughts a bit so then you know exactly what it is that you're doing. The shopping is kind of key as well. Uh, obviously, we're so cognizant now of the inflated cost of food and food waste. So you just need to be judicious, of course, about what you're what you're buying and that make sure that what you're buying is going to be used. Um, but yeah, we're certainly going to yeah. give a, a lovely gastronomic feast on the evening. I'll be giving everyone a whistle stop tour through starters, main course, side accompaniments, desserts. And as I said, uh, extra top tips on the night as well. I'll do everything now other than give an old blast of a holy night on the night. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I hear, I hear you might be capable of doing that as well. Who knows? Uh, when, when I knew you were coming on today, I just, I, you know, for many, many years now, I would speak to various chefs indeed around Christmas time. And what comes up time and time again has to be the roast potatoes and the stuffing, and oh. they're generally. Um, many of the questions we get for chefs would be around those two things. Would you go along with that, Edward? I certainly would hold with that contention. Of course, they're two of the most controversial Christmas culinary conundrums. Yes. Um, and again, what I'd say to you, to get myself that stay of execution, everyone does their own thing with it. And what I would always say to people is, you know, when I do demonstrations, everyone tastes the stuff and says, oh, that's absolutely beautiful. But... You either prefer your own or you prefer your mother's. So we all go back to that. So I have a lovely recipe. I'm going to be giving a lovely recipe for apple, sage and hazel or apple, sage and chestnut stuffing um, on the night. We're talking all the different things. I mean, stuffing is very much unique and you might put in sausage meat, someone else might put in cranberries. I might prefer parsley, you might prefer sage. So we'll be giving uh, people tips on that. But the stuffing is key. And then, of course, the second biggest thing is where do you put the stuffing? Do you put yeah, it in turkey? Yeah, do you put it yeah. in so we'll be looking at all of those. With regard to the roast potatoes, mine are what I think very nice, but also very simple. So I get rooster potatoes, I parboil them, I put them into cold water, I bring them to the boil, I uh, parboil them for eight or nine minutes, strain off the water, give the pan, a, leave the pan sitting on the heat source, but with the heat turned off, if you know what I mean. Then give them for two or three minutes, then give them a really good shake. And consequently to that, I'd have some maybe hot oil or hot uh, goose fat, preferably, in a roasting tray. Toss them into that with some fresh thyme, salt and pepper and leave them into a nice good hot oven for about 30 to 35 minutes. And give them a turn throughout so that they're nice and crispy and crunchy. I like them crispy and crunchy on the outside and then nice and soft in the centre. And of course, Fran, you can do that whilst your turkey is resting because we must take the turkey out and rest. And the turkey will be in at a lower temperature and then when the turkey comes out and it's resting, it gives you a chance to leave the potatoes in at a higher temperature and get them nice and crispy. And so listen, there's nothing like that extra roast fudge. Oh, there's not. for sure. And I'm, I have just realised how starving I am now when you speak about that. What about the dreaded sprouts? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to offend you greatly now by telling you that I love the sprouts but they have to be boiled to a pulp I have to say oh, which you, I know God. you're offended by that Edward yeah. not at all listen um, once you like them that's the main thing <laughs> uh, what I would be doing with your uh, initial question is I'd be removing the word dreaded from them because yes. I think they're lovely yeah. I'm mad about sprouts now I do them a couple of different ways I do them a different way every year for my own family at home so at one time I just might boil them 
refresh them a little bit and then just before I serve them I might fry them off in the pan with some red chilli, red onion and some peanuts and that can be really nice but Fran, do you know what might suit your requirements and it's delicious as well mm. if you put the sprouts through a food processor and shred them down you know like as if you were shredding cabbage yes then fry them up on a little pan, add in some cream and some parmesan. So you're doing them kind of like you would do creamed leeks, but obviously they're creamed sprouts, and you can put some crispy bacon lardons in there oh, as well, yeah. and that will have you... Oh, that sounds gorgeous. That will send you to the couch for the afternoon at uh, great speed, no doubt. Sounds absolutely... So these are the kind of tips you'll come up with, which, which is sort of rejuvenating the way that we would do things, I suppose, Edward. And that's a perfect word, and it's a perfect representation for it. It's rejuvenating it, because, you know, the Christmas dinner is on the go now since uh, Adam and Eve picked the apple off the tree nearly. So, um, you know, people are well familiar with it. So we're going to revisiting it and it's like all these questions that you're asking me people will ask on the night I love the questions I love that audience engagement you know I, I kind of almost feed off of it no more than yourself and your gig and um, it's it, it's it's in those questions that the kind of the best exchanges happen do you know that sort of way of course, because yes. a conversation opens something I mightn't I could be heading from Greg Namana to the horse and the jockey I mightn't even be thinking of that particular topic and then someone will ask something and it just arouses something in me and then something in the crowd to, to get it. So bring your pens uh, and uh, I have no doubt everyone will be all good. The Horse and Jockey is a gorgeous venue. We've done demos there before and it's a beautiful venue. They're always very good yeah, to it's, it's very intimate uh, there and it's perfect it's for gorgeous. it, isn't it? Yeah. It's um, already questions coming in even ahead of uh, Friday night but somebody is wondering about your thoughts on Goose, for example. Well now, Goose is great but only I'd say if you have a small crowd. It's really tasty, really delicious but I always find everywhere you put the knife into it you hit a bone. Right. Um, yeah. So they are small but if you only had three or four for Christmas, Goose is absolutely gorgeous and what I would do is I'd make my normal herb stuffing and put a bit of mashed potato into it. The potato and herb stuffing suits it really well because the fat of the goose goes into it so potato mm. and herb stuffing with it uh, would be gorgeous mm. and is hopefully it, is it you like might get duck? the golden it, egg as well. Absolutely. Is it prone to be fat like duck? It is fatty, is it? Yeah, yeah. it is fatty. It's not yeah. dissimilar oh, to duck that, at yeah. all but it has that kind of nice meaty gamey flavour. Very nice and acquired taste uh, very nice but the, the kind of the modicum of caution is that it's uh, it's not fit for a crowd. Right, of course, yeah. Somebody asking, will will Edward be talking about the ham on Friday? Of course you will. I certainly you? will. I certainly will because mm. the ham is one of the centrepieces and so many people have the story of coming in from uh, either the pub or midnight mass or maybe both <laughs> and scalp and lumps off of the ham and then you could get up in the morning and the ham could be scarcer on Christmas Day than it was on Christmas Eve. Oh, but that's fun around it. And I mean, food is supposed to be fun, uh, Fran. Food is supposed to be enjoyed. It's supposed to be savoured. And in my opinion, food is supposed to be shared. Um, so all of that is what we cover. I, I, I cover a range of topics. So any questions people have, uh, I'll, I'll do my best to, to answer them on food and much more besides. <laughs> well, there's an open invitation. There's yeah, an open invitation, be... for sure. S somebody asking about starters as well. Um, I hope you don't mind answering a few questions ahead of uh, Friday night. Somebody asking about starters, Edward? Now, a uh, couple of things I would say to on starters. What I tend to do in our house is I make a lovely uh, soup. So we don't stand on ceremony with starters. We would always have one, but it's more informal. So what I tend to do is I make a really nice uh, roasted butternut squash soup. And then I root out the dusty china out of the back of the press. And when people arrive or feel like it, I'd have little wholemeal scones, maybe with a bit of smoked salmon on top of them, and just give them a cup of soup out of their hand. 
you know when people arrive and so my sister arrives she has young family my other sister arrives everyone has different needs mm. as they arrive and they're chit-chatting and you're looking at presents and you're sharing presents or whatever we normally have that we have a big uh, kitchen a big space so we'd have that kind of standing around and then when we move into the table proper, you know, that, that kind of real, that real bite of the Christmas hunger has gone off you. So um, you can sit down then and savour your Christmas dinner without wolfing it down. Shared things are great. So again, these antipasta platters have become very um, popular in recent times. Uh, again, the melon. We can't forget where we where we where we came from. We all had mm. melon balls and avocado mm. slices in sugar frosted glasses and thought we were terribly posh. So things like that would be lovely. Or even a bit of smoked salmon on brown bread. You know, sometimes Fran, you could go around the world. But isn't it the kind of the, the simple things are often the yes, best? Isn't it always the case for sure? Somebody wondering about the plum pudding as well. Will you be addressing that on Friday night? Is there still time to to get loads, into the yeah? Loads of time to make. We won't be yeah. making one, but certainly we can address one. I have a fabulous recipe for plum pudding, which I'd be happy to share with people on the evening. Um, so, and um, we'll be talking about how you can kind of make it, store it, feed it, and different ways of serving it. So you could obviously serve it traditional. Sometimes what I do with leftover plum pudding, so if I've served it on Christmas Day or Stephen's Day, anything that's left in the bowl, I might just mush it all together with a bit of extra booze, roll it into little balls and dip it in chocolate and have like Christmas pudding truffles. You know, just kind of for those days over Christmas that you might just want a coffee and something sweet. And there's just like two, two, two and a half bites in that. And it's just enough to give you a kind of uh, 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 an injection of sugar with the coffee. That sounds absolutely delicious to me. If people want to, to get tickets for Friday night, how can they do that, Edward? Now, they can check out the tickets. Tickets, There's plenty of tickets uh, still available. So they can check them out. Uh, they can get them in the horse and jockey. Uh, if they want to contact the hotel there. And also, of course, they can check them out on eventbrite.ie. So those are the two best ways. Eventbrite.ie. Uh, that phone number for the hotel, the that phone number is 0504-44192. That's 0504-44192 if people want to book at the hotel. And as you say, Eventbrite as well, Edward, yeah? Eventbrite is great. And I'd be I'd be fairly confident that if a handful of people rocked up on the night, uh, that we'd let them, they'd be let in as well. Uh, if the if the room permitted, so there's that option. But book book early. Come along, ring your friends, text your family. Come along. Uh, there's worse ways to spend uh, a Monday evening for sure. And again, it's to get out into the mood. You know, uh, come out, have a bit of crack, have a bit of fun, relax, and a bit of learning. And I always think, you know, the best learning happens through uh, fun and engagement and in that shared uh, conversation. So I'm really looking forward to this fan. I'm really looking forward to seeing people. I'm on the go a, a fairly long time now and I've lots of good, loyal uh, followers and supporters up around the Tipperary uh, area. My neighbours, of course, from neighbouring Kilkenny. So I look forward to seeing uh, lots of people uh, on the night and having a, a right good chat and Christmas catch-up with them all and uh, hopefully solving their, their culinary dilemmas. Well, you, you're a great showman as well as being a wonderful chef, so I'm sure it's going to be a tremendous night. You look after yourself, Edward, and great to chat today. Thank you. That's the great Edward Hayden there from the Edward Hayden School of Cookery, but you'll know him well anyway from his appearances on Ireland AM on Virgin Media. That phone number again, by the way, if you want to book some tickets for that for Friday night is 0504 
44192. That's 0504 44192. Or indeed, um, if your computer you type, uh, go on eventbrite.ie for your tickets. That's it for me. Emma produced. Ali looks after her content. And Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show. He'll also play Match 3 for you again, so stay tuned for that. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves in the meantime, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Look forward to more consistent.